Welcome, son of Primus, to our humble kingdom. You are welcome to tread our grounds and make what fun you may. We are pleased by your arrival. I understand that you have business of import. Thank you, sire. I shan't tarry long, though. We are on a great quest to retrieve the thirteen treasures of rule, and my compass points it that the direction of the next treasure is just through this strait that you so happen to be in control of. My band and I would like passage through it and perhaps provisions for the trip. Yes, all of this seems very reasonable and in order. Let me just consult quickly with my vizier, on whom I must consult on all matters of such import. Vizier, what say you about this young, wonderful child? Uh, his nobility cannot be called into question. Indeed, his, uh, his, his father was a, was a great man, but I, I caution you. Uh, some prudence in in deciding matters such as this. This dark water infestation that they claim is so barbaric, you know, there's no actual evidence that it is man-made at all. In fact, it's something that I suspect that our planet goes through rather naturally. So uh, there, there really isn't any need for alarm. Didn't it consume the fishwife and one of her children just the other day? Well, that's a natural process, though. It consumes many fishwives. That, I, you know, we, we can't throw all of the lives at its feet. It, it would be unreasonable to upset our entire economy and mm. uh, our, our, our entire infrastructure just to allow this prince to go on what I consider a very, very radical expedition. Uh, very well. What, what shall I tell the child? Uh, um, um, thoughts and prayers? alien world of Myrrh is being devoured by dark water. Only Ren, a young prince, can stop it by finding the lost 13 treasures of war. At his side is an unlikely but loyal crew of misfits. At his back, the evil pirate lord Blood, who will stop at nothing to get the treasures for himself. That's it. Young Ren, understand that we mean only the best, but uh, you know it's not politically feasible right now, and uh, the economy, etc. <laughs> Your king voice, though. <laughs> they they do have a lot of like nice like. If I was auditioning for this show, I would get in just because of how many like deep voiced regal people that are on here. You've done a Good lot of and Shakespeare, bad. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's very, uh, it's it's not Shakespeare so much as it is a D&D campaign, but, like, the heart is there. You understand that Shakespeare is a D&D campaign. I will not hear such slander. <laughs> <laughs> I would not say such things if I were you. You offend my realm, young one. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it goes a little something like that. Sometimes <laughs> we edit it. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes so we include the editorial. <laughs> sometimes those are the best parts. Mm-hmm. No, I like uh, but that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, let, let us welcome you onto the show proper. I don't want to tarry too long in getting you in here because uh, there's probably going to be a lot to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, welcome everyone. My name is Ben. My name is Zane the Eternal. And I'm James. Yeah, and uh, we are... Uh, this is the... 
Welcome to Cartoncast. This is a podcast <laughs> where we review old cartoons to see what we think of them as adults. I, I can't convince guests how difficult it is to keep like those ten words straight in my mind. Oh, I can only uh, imagine. Yeah. I, I, I struggled with hey, I'm James at the very beginning of this, so <laughs> uh, but yeah, we we have a guest today. Thank you so much for coming on the show, James. Thank you for having me. I've been really excited about the opportunity. I'm I'm ready to ready to talk about pirates with you. Yeah, yes. so today we are talking about the pirates of dark water. The space Two is necessary. Words. It's not a proper noun. That is one word, dark water. Really I seemed like it was. I trying to search for it online and could <laughs> not find it because I forgot about that space. Yeah. Um, but before we get started talking about that, uh, James, let, let me welcome you onto the show. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how comfortable with uh, admitting to nepotism you are, but I know you through my boyfriend, uh, <laughs> Ethan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you, are, you are his brother and uh, apparently have a history with this show. Yes, so Ethan's my brother. He's awesome, and it's awesome to know you through him. And um, I'm also hat. a cartoon lover, specifically from my, my childhood where I saw the Pirates of Dark Water. This is one of the um, – I, I don't have, like, some sort of ranking in my mind for it, but it was one that I vividly remembered from, from childhood. So I can see why. Yep. It's got a lot of memorable uh, ass, uh, assets, facets to it. It's got a lot of memorable asses. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, b- before we talk about Pirates of Darkwater, I am curious, uh, James, do you have any internet presence or anything like that you'd like to plug before you we get started? Is there any place people can find you, or is there any work that you want to reference? Um, very briefly, I will say that I actually just bought the domain for my website, um, where I am going to be writing about basketball, which is my, you know, one of my primary loves in life, and it's the thehezzy.com, and uh, it's not launched yet. Um, but I have several pieces that I'm finishing up so that I can release stuff in a, you know, a few days apart to, to start that. So that'll probably start sometime in the winter this year. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah uh, we'll we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes so that people can find you there. Um, but yeah, let, let me know when it launches so I can, you know, read something that I know nothing and care nothing about. <laughs> well, Ben, what about Slam Dunk? Well, what about like, Slam Dunk, though? That, we did do a basketball episode. That you might want to listen to it, actually. <laughs> I must, now that I've heard this. <laughs> yeah. Now, is the basketball one of the 13 treasures of rule? It, it's, <laughs> They're all basketballs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And the Harlem Globetrotters just come on like a Scooby-Doo episode? <laughs> yes. 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 And they form Voltron at the end. It's really... <laughs> I mean, the Carton cast is one of the 13 treasures of rule, for sure. You're a 13 treasure of rule. I try. I thought that rule was a proper noun for the longest time. I thought that, like, it was going to have metaphorical power. Like, it will teach you how to rule properly... By virtue of getting these treasures, like each one will teach you something different. Like we need to use teamwork to get this one. <laughs> it's hard to tell. Um, but yeah, uh, James, do you want to tell us a little bit about your history with this show? Sure. Um, I was lucky enough to, I didn't have cable or TV growing up. So the only time I got to watch cartoons was on Saturdays when I was at my grandma's. And this was one of the shows that was on pretty much every Saturday. You know, you'd watch one of the only five episodes they were airing at the time. Um, and I, I loved, at the time, what I took most from it uh, was some of the lingo that I have apparently used up until my <laughs> adulthood. Um, I have been told by people in my family and life that I have used some of these phrases in real life, and that's pretty scary. Um, <laughs> that's pretty great. But um, I'm a big fan of the, you know... You use scrum bunch and nerf herder kind of lingo that, that yeah. made its way into this. 
Mm-hmm. Noi Jatat, that's the one. Noi Jatat mm-hmm. is the is the Chitat in general is like the highlight for me. And um, Chitat makes the list of what I one of the things that I brought for you guys is I have these fifteen questions and fifteen thoughts. And oh um, great, yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. I'm hoping we can hit on some of these together and I can hear how you guys feel about like the difference between Chungalungo and Oichitat and which one of these is more important to you. <laughs> yeah, you want to soft serve us one of those real about quick? All of this. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, let's start there, the language. And I think that for for the podcast, we might want to consider calling treasures treasures because that seems Tra- to be how they seems to be how they the treasures. <laughs> so if we should we should throw that in there a little bit while we talk yes, about we those don't, too. I, yeah, Seconded. I don't, don't want to appropriate whatever that you know racial <laughs> epithet that is. Not, not quite Creole, like yeah, something in there. Uh, so Chungalungo uh, or Chitat? Where where do you uh, land between the two? You know. I, I've been, uh, it, it, it strikes me recently, whenever I'm looking at a villain that is some race that is not human, and it's like a gross race, like an orc or a space tentacled monstrosity or anything, there's a mm-hmm. lot of hard consonants and U sounds. <laughs> uh, so Chungalunga is much more villainous to me than, than, than toy, soy, soy, ve, ve, veggie, veggie taco, or whatever the hell. No, <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah that like that sounds like it could be a real like branding like combined word with an apostrophe thing um for me like a lot of the made up uh, uh curse words that i'm familiar with come from like the legion of superheroes where it's very obvious which one it's replacing so they'll say sprock instead of fuck and they'll say nas instead of shit here i just i don't know what the words mean it's it there's no sounds context like, it sounds like it's another language but which one mm-hmm. it, how they yeah. all just sound like variations of surprise either good surprise or bad surprise but i will say that like what was it chungalunga yeah chungalunga like, oh yeah chungalunga like that can only really be said like oh you know chungalunga yeah but that's feels like favorite. it's got a nice variety in the ways that you can say it you know it's a very versatile word so i'm gonna go with chat okay you can get yeah, a dial. I, I, you can get a dialect. You can get a spin on that one. <laughs> I, I will say that like one of the best things about this uh, is so there. There's two things uh, that when I watched this for the first time, which is you visited uh, Ethan and we all sat down and watched a couple episodes of Pirate of Darkwater. The two things that occurred to me immediately was there's so much color in this show, <laughs> and it's so inventive like to no purpose like there, there's a lot of inventiveness within the world building that is you know it it feels like very well very considered and developed like uh Noijitat sounds like something that was you know tested out to see like how well it would uh how yeah, well it would yeah. fit in their society like it a feels like an avatar situation where there, there's way more backstory and information than what we're actually getting this mm-hmm. is somebody's baby for sure like yeah. there's such it a world like and the info comes so fast and the plot just keeps chugging along <laughs> yep and like it's kind of impenetrable like We'll, we'll talk about it. This show didn't really meet with a ton of success. You know, they tried to tie it into a toy line. It didn't sell great. But, like, part of that's because it bucked the trend of, like, hey, Monster of the Week thing. Instead, it's, like, every episode tied right back into what just happened, and you're kind of lost if you're not following it through straight straight away. 
Yeah. At least I was. It, this is one of the best balanced shows that I have ever watched in that it does a micro story that fits into the major story mm-hmm. pretty seamlessly. Like the, the plot of <laughs> try to find the 13 treasures of rule and each episode is let's find that treasure. Let's find that treasure. And within that, you can do whatever you want. I don't know. Like there's, there's you, you're allowed to do anything and it all builds to a cohesive plot there's there's not many holes in that that's a good that's a good formula it really worked for me i i feel there are a lot of smaller stories in this one that were really like that stand out like compared to other shows mm-hmm. um i wouldn't want to like start calling out shows for bad individual episodes but this one had, had a, <laughs> this one had a lot of episodes that like are like the early in the show there's one that deals with kind of slavery of the the monkey birds yep. and, yeah. and that one's super impactful just going know? for it yeah and that's like what three episodes in you know two yeah two episodes in. <laughs> how? like how <laughs> uh, but um i'm just gonna go through the production real quick just so yeah, we can get please. that out of the way and kind of talk about what this show is. So, Firefly ran in 2002 on Fox. Nope. And what? <laughs> they bring it back. Come on. When you saw this like big world and they were swearing in other languages, like, did you not like? Oh, this is Firefly. <laughs> I honestly was thinking Wind Waker, just because you know nautical society. Okay, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean uh, <laughs> was a movie in 2003. <laughs> He's got a compass that points you towards the Treasure. Like, come on, <laughs> Treasure! Do not seek the Treasure. Okay, show fine. notes. The Pirates of Dark Water, two words, ran from 1991 to 1993 on ABC. <clears throat> the Pirates produ- of Dank Water ran from 1960 <laughs> to 1969, <laughs> and woo. <laughs> Uh, it was produced by Hanna-Barbera and originally ran for a five-episode miniseries on Fox called Dark Water, and uh, then they kind of retooled it to to air on ABC, you know, up the animation. It was, it was more like a pilot trial sort of thing. Um, but the show never reached completion. The second season was ended midway um, because that season's considered a bit worse just overall, um, and so it never really, you know, it didn't meet commercial success, and so they were like, it's not worth even finishing. Yeah, and that that's that's kind of a shame because this macro plot is something I'm into enough, into the structure of it enough that I would have wanted to see an end. You know, I, I don't feel that way about things that don't have a definitive endpoint, like He-Man or Thundercats or those other '80s shows that I found it pretty easy to compare this alongside, um, favorably, I might add. But you know, this has a defined endpoint in that what happens when they get the thirteen treasures and have your confrontation with Bloth. Um, it would not have been that hard to finish out the second season and make that happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt a little... A little I can only imagine how you feel, James. Like, <laughs> yeah, actually know. watching Growing oh, Up With It. Well, even... I mean, just watching it again, there's there's a lot of stuff that didn't get wrapped up that I thought is an absolute shame. I, d- I did read somewhere, um, though it wasn't like an official website or anything, but that the the production cost of this was wild, and I think that probably yeah. had a lot to do with the voice cast for this. Looks like it was very expensive. I don't know if we the want to cover... The animation, too. Yeah. I don't know if we want to cover that early. So but, intricate. But yeah, the cast sure, is nuts, not? too. Um, I mean, do we have a... Does anyone have a list of that right I, in front of them? Yeah, I have a list of most of the... So, like, the main characters, you know, you have your kind of ragtag band of pirates, um, and... It's it's interesting because like the characters are all pretty good and really fleshed out, but I yeah they're white trouble pirates. I had trouble <laughs> understanding their motivations at times. But um, the main character Ren, who is like the prince who's tasked with saving the world, 
uh, George Newbern, who voices Superman in like yeah. everything for the past 20 years, plus some Kingdom Hearts nonsense. That's a good voice for Superman. Like, I didn't realize <laughs> until I started thinking about this that, you know, Justice League is a show that my conception of the main DC heroes comes from the animated show Justice League. And that is one of the better depictions of Superman that I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Um, Nidler is like monkey bird, like mascot character. Sorry, is Frank- monkey bird? What do you mean? So I want you to imagine. So you know how like a bird head is? Yeah. And you know how a monkey body is? And you know how human ears are? And you know how like goat beards are? Yeah. And mm-hmm. throw all that out and it's just a big like goose. Yep. <laughs> it's uh, it's so that- pretty good. This is uh, Frank Welker, who's every animal, and he just does a great job here. Tula, who is, like, the, like, action girl, like, kind of untrustworthy woman of mystery who gains superpowers, uh, is Jody Benson, who's Ariel from The Little Mermaid, and Ioz, mm-hmm. who is, like, this kind of roguish yeah, something. character, was Hector Elizondo in season one and Jim Cummings in season two. Wow, I didn't actually even realize they were different people yeah, throughout the, the show. And the main character, Bloth, is Brock Peters, Tom Robinson from To Kill a Mockingbird, and his sidekick is Tim Curry. Mm-hmm. Conk, classic. <laughs> like, like, like you said, Ben, great animation, and this is an amazing voice cast. Why didn't this work? Uh, I don't... You mean commercially? Yes. Cause and it then some other me. ways. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I really rode some highs and lows on this one. <laughs> oh man, this worked for me pretty much straight across the uh, right across the bow. Um, you know, nautical. Um, but you know, like we, we can talk <laughs> about the uh, we can talk about the characters like in more detail as we get further along. But like in terms of why didn't this work or not, I I don't have a. It was it was very different, right? Because something else that came out with a similar feel and like a similar trying to encapsulate this high fantasy adventure at the same time was King Arthur and the Knights of Justice. And that was bad. Uh, Um, Yeah, it was extremely bad. But it also had, you know, a couple of seasons, action figure, video game, like the whole, like this one, it seemed like was the exact same end product by way of like how it was consumed but just a much higher production uh, cost. Let, let's let's bring to mind some of the contemporary eras of animation. In the 80s, what you have is He-Man, ThunderCats, everything like that. Limited animation, toy product placement, like that that was the formula and that was what you delivered on. However, you had fantasy series that uh would that that you know had some really marketable to young kids kind of uh, mentality to it you had aliens you had war you had a bunch of stuff you can see that pirates of dark water definitely brought some of the con the setting from like an 80s action adventure show but it had a very different ethos for for what it was trying to do it wasn't trying to sell toys necessarily this was after ducktales where they started actually making animation for its own sake and that shows in this because the hand-drawn animation is so fluid like they 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 animated the shit out of this show it doesn't look even a little bit limited animation it looks beautiful (laughs) and probably owes to why it was so damn expensive 
Mm-hmm. Um, so like let let's keep in mind that it was right between the '80s and '90s era of animation because it's it's borrowing from pieces of both, which makes it unique, but I guess not particularly marketable. You yeah, know, maybe, when, maybe it was just too ahead of its time. Yeah, James, when you grew up watching this, you know what separated it from the other stuff you might have seen. Uh, so I think two things that that Ben just said are are kind of what I was gonna how I would answer this, and that's that it was visually very different from the other things that I was seeing. I think the color palette, kind of the the darkness of the feel of the show, mm-hmm. I loved. Um, it was marketed as serious in an era where other thing where the cartoons just kind of were not. Yeah, it ahead of its time is exactly how I would describe why this show failed. If that's going back to your other question too, kind yeah. of the way that this is obviously not just for my five-year-old son but also for me you know that was that that (laughs) translates now it doesn't it didn't translate then but i I feel like the market was they put this on during kids cartoon time at the time that's probably part of the reason it failed yeah yeah uh so ready for a reboot you'd say at any day now if i had if i had (laughs) i'll put it on myself i'm I'm upset that it hasn't happened yet and if i win the lottery it's absolutely one of the top three shows i'm rebooting (laughs) you go on survivor and you win the million and they're like what are you going to spend it on well you see Uh this this show Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, it 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 has at least 10 episodes left that's how i feel about it you guys are not the only people who you know ache for this show to or you're not the only one who aches for this show to be kind of reborn like there's a lot of present there's presence on the internet for some very diehard fans i want to share a little something with you guys uh there is a fan website of pirates of darkwater.net um and are you looking at the source books <laughs> Uh, oh, no, I'm not looking at the source books. Apparently, there's, like, D&D-inspired, yeah. like, mechanics for it. I just wanted to direct your attention to one of the web pages, which, you know, they have comics, quote-unquote, Marvel Comics. Oh, yeah. Up there, that is Pirates of Darkwater. <laughs> the comics don't actually exist, but the covers for the comics do on this website. Oh, so and the good. one that I just linked is the first one that I clicked on, and it's amazing. So this is a fake, this did not exist. I have no idea if this existed. <laughs> this is it incredible. It may as well have. Yeah. Look at it. Danger is a Dagron duel. Subscribe. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, done and done. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, you. Could, this is something that could be done is like a modern like radio play of it. Um, oh, but shit, then you yeah. do lose the visuals, which are very evocative. Yeah, it's so it has this. Uh, the website also has like a world book, a source book, a monster manual for a D&D type thing. Finally, I get an actual explanation of what the treasures of rule do. <laughs> I want like, I want to fight a cadre of monkey birds. Yeah, like cuz this I'd world So this world is like pirate story but with sci-fi elements. It's a world that feels very alien and very like you said avatar. Like we've seen stuff like this but nothing that is this. It feels like it was constructed via D&D Mad Libs. It it absolutely does. And let, so... let me let me run down my list of D and D cliches <laughs> that populate this. That Please, populate oh, I'm so show. excited for this list, and I have some for you. I'm so this is this is great. Go ahead. <laughs> Orphaned prince, mm-hmm. lost treasures, an ancient city, a wisecracking sidekick, an action girl, an untrustworthy friend, and everyone they meet has a history with his family. Yes. So much backstory. We we have. I'm sorry. I have to jump on this list yes, because we absolutely. actually have 
We have various cool races. We have uh, various classes you could play if this were a D&D campaign, right? We Ecomancers. Have e- Ecomancer, alchemists, pirates. We also have, and I'm, I'm sorry for anyone Flavor. that's not... <laughs> we have. I'm sorry for Same. anyone that hasn't been all the way caught up in Stranger Things yet, but we've got some. We've got some under under dark and um, some big D and D characters in this one. Did you guys get yeah. to the episode with um, the Blight, which is basically just a demigorgon, and the uh, no. the Dark Dweller, which is basically saw, just a mind flayer? I saw the Constrictor though. Okay, the Constrictor is awesome, but these are that's a good one. There's this like bigger plot going on where there's the the reason the treasures of rule existed were to keep the dark dweller in the underworld yeah. oh keep, that's right yeah that's just bloth is like a a an unwitting lieutenant of this greater he, it's like uh it's like tex hex and the stampede from brave star where like the mm-hmm. one that we're dealing with all the time he doesn't even know that he's working for darker powers mm-hmm. yeah and like a D campaign the like you, like you said, this is unfinished. Like there are plot hooks that are delivered that are not followed up on just because the team decided not to do them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to just like I just flip to a random part in this source book to give you just a sense of how rich this world is. Uh, this is for a weapon, the Grub Crossbow. It is a combination crossbow flintlock rifle that uses sacks full of exploding grubs as missiles. No, no, <laughs> listen, no, listen to me, listen to me. Zane, listen to me. This is so great. The best part of this show, the I lost my fucking mind when I saw this one part. There's okay. So there I don't remember the exact circumstance because I was just kind of waddling through until like something made me pay so much goddamn attention. Uh Ayaz and uh his buddies Zuli, I think. Mm-hmm. His like game house uh game shark kind of Yeah, friend. they go way back. They don't explain like Mm-hmm. How they met, just like, yeah, I know a guy. Yeah, I know a guy who knows a guy, and we hate each other, but we also love each other. I, I love Ayaz and Zuli as a yeah, as a pairing. Great relationship. But Tula is, you know, she has some plans that are, are oh, you know, yeah. she's got motivations that are not immediately apparent, but she doesn't <laughs> want to let them in on it, so she pulls out a glass bottle with a crossbow trigger, you know, uh, uh, you know, actually uh, squeezes the trigger and it clamps down on this weird litter- lizard inside the glass bottle that then emits a noxious gas that <laughs> knocks them out. And nobody, like, calls it anything. It's just a thing that you, it's like, we all oh, know what a want gun a is. Crossbow. <laughs> yeah, like, that's just, they, there's no, there's no inflection on how crazy this fucking weapon is. <laughs> there's an everyday thing. I for lost them. my mind how, like, how normal they tried to make that. Did you just try to put one past me? Did you just try to put knockout gas grub crossbow past me without drawing attention to it? This is the thing. Like, for a kid, I'm sure these things would be really awesome. But the reason it might not have been as as commercially enjoyed at the time is, like, they needed somebody before the show started to just, like, hype you up. Like, in this episode, we're going to (laughs) have, like, yeah, a crossbow (laughs) lizard thing (laughs) shooting noxious fumes. It's amazing. Who made that decision? <laughs> yeah, it really does I'm feel like the brainchild of one person. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I might as well mention at this point that I loved the show. <laughs> this okay. was really, this was really solid for me. James, you, you, you picked a, you picked a treasure. You picked a treasure. A treasure. A treasure. <laughs> and I will say, this show didn't do it for me as much as I wanted it to. 
and I will try to figure out why that is. Yeah, I'd be um, interested because in hearing. Because as I was watching it, I was like, this should be hitting me so good, and it's yeah. not, and I don't know there, why. There are a couple weaknesses that I found that might, you know, inform that, but, you know, let's keep that in mind. Yeah, why don't we why don't we have another question from the uh, uh, question sheet? Sure, we've, <laughs> um, I've been highlighting the stuff that we've actually hit on, so we've hit on like five or six of them already. So we're gonna, yep. we're gonna skip. That's those. how it goes. <laughs> um, the Carton Cast is known for its ability to just hit the topics right off the bat. Answer questions that you never ask. All right, so I think if so, we, we segued into this by you sharing that you didn't like it as much. So let's let's try to figure out the mm. things that Ben and I didn't like about it and see if if we can expand on any of those. Um, I'll ask you, Ben, is there any particular part of the show that did not age well for you? Uh, the animation, although very fluid, is very slow. And when juxtaposed with how fast the plot runs, it's a little awkward. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, you know, in even though the plot is very fast, they go from scene to scene, like, pretty quickly. Within that scene, it, it, it feels like they have too many frames of animation to, like, have... Uh, red running from one place to another or kicking something or doing a backflip like it is it is weirdly lethargic mm-hmm. and it, it feels like they're all kind of swimming through molasses yeah uh, which is a little bit in conflict with the kind of action adventure hype of it mm-hmm. for uh, that, that would be like the main thing that i noted is a is a weakness in this show yeah I, and at the same time there were several like quick cuts between between things like just like quick cut to reaction shot quick sh- quick cut to the thing they're looking at like they didn't put it all in the same shot and it gave me the sort of uh it sort of kept me off off balance mm-hmm. the, that was the animation and, and cuts are actually one two of my bullet points for things that didn't age well um the the a lot of the there are a lot of things that took me out of the moment. Like, I feel like I was biased to love this the second that I turned it on anyway. So (laughs) I, I was actually surprised at some of the things that took me out of these moments. Um, so the animation was one of them. Uh, one of them was kind of this, it's kind of a bigger topic. Um, for, for me is there's kind of a lot of sexism going on early on in the show. And there certainly is. It's, you know, Ayaz as a character, he's designed in a really cool way. Like that's what I think pirates look like in my mind. And I think the voice actor, how ugly his facial hair is. (laughs) Everyone in here is an ugly bastard except for Ren. But he's not a good dude. And it, it actually felt like over the top, like pretty hard for me. And it took me out of those moments. And I, I have a note on how the show ended about that, if you want to talk mm. about that now. But um, for me, that if you were going to remake this now, that would have to go or the way that message is conveyed needs to be different. Um, I, I can almost understand the way that it articulate it, it, at least in its own time, because it is to kids. And so you have to like, you know, in Johnny Bravo, the way they kind of handled the whole this is our character and we want to love him, but he's also real sexist. The way they did that was to make it really obvious when he was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so to do that, what you do is you make Ayaz be the most misogynistic little fucker you can you you absolutely like you can't have subtlety behind it because then it will be maybe less clear that he's supposed to be maligned for this point of view it's it's one of those things where you know he he says something sexist once and i'm like okay that's characterization uh sometimes they went to the well a little too often and it and it ran you know clearly a villain's gonna do that but for me it was more just like there are so few 
female characters. The ones we do see are really good. Yeah. But it's just... Um, I love that alchemist. Mm-hmm. It just really kind of broke... Um, not immersion, but it was just like, this is so clearly a... Sun- like, when they put out the action figures for this show, apparently, um, they had eight action figures, and none of them were Tula. Oh, like wow. They, yeah. Like, they, they would rather... They were like, kids would rather buy an action figure of this short, fat, peg-legged henchman than Do a woman. Do you not like him? What? No, we. I love. I love the conk. Conk had a great. Uh, had a bunch of great moments actually, but uh, it's just that's Pennywise the conk to you. All right, Pennywise the conk. <laughs> there was. Oh my god! One of the best moments uh, was when Bloth was. Um, he was like, "You failed me. I'm going to send you to the constrictors." Which, like, in his big boat, this, this is the bad pirate guy. In his big boat, he has like. A sewer. Don't get me started on the maelstrom. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're, we're gonna <laughs> come full back dare. to the maelstrom. Yeah, we have to come back like, to the maelstrom. Like a like a sewer thing with a hydra living within it, and it's he in the boat. There, it's and, in the boat. Damn it! And it's um, in it. <laughs> and the rest of the pirate crew is like taking bets, and uh, one of the guys says, "Like you know what? I think Conk will will make it out of there alive." And they're like, "Why? Why on earth would you think that?" And he's like, "There's only two people who have ever escaped the constrictor: Ren." And Conk has already done it once. And there's like a zoom in onto his peg leg. And it's like, how good of a survivor is this little yeah. guy? Like, <laughs> yeah, I want to see like a whole series about Conk. <laughs> like, he, but like, he just like don't... has this real world sense of self-preservation for like just w- wiggling out of situations that should have killed him 12 times over. They do this for every character where they just like, they make them sound like the coolest badass, even though you don't always see that play out. I, uh, just just so we don't get it lost in the shuffle, uh, I do agree, James, that yeah. Tula was not handled particularly well either by the cast or in her character conception in general. Um, mm. You know, I, I don't know how you'd make a realistic depiction of a sexist character in Ioz to kind of remark on that without it being as obvious as it ended up being. Yeah, um, and I, even even you know, like we've seen enough shows sure where even it. on the late '80s, early '90s curve, this one's pretty not great. Mm-hmm. Well, in that in that regard. it's overbearing. It like they they focus on it. You know, I think that there is definitely an '80s sense of we have to have a moral here, and they focus on it because they want to draw attention to the fact that you shouldn't judge her because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. But the way it articulates is that everyone's you obsessing her over it. She constantly betrays you. Well, that's that, that, that's a bigger issue. Just like a woman would. <laughs> just like, okay, so Delilah. I, I have to I have to tell you that when when I I didn't get to watch all the episodes, which is something I wanted to do, um, mm. but I I thought that maybe when I was watching this, I was like maybe there's a bigger plan in place for Ayaz, and that maybe this is going to be something he comes around on. So I actually skipped to the last episode specifically to see if this was addressed at all, because I thought maybe. Maybe they knew they were getting canceled before they wrote that episode, and maybe they wanted to close the loop on this sort of character arc. Like, maybe he comes around on Tula. And it's actually really shoehorned in to the last episode. Um, oh, I'm going wow. to read you some of the lines from Ayaz in the last episode for you, okay? Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Give me so, that. <clears throat> Ren, you should know better than to argue with a woman. They never listen. And then only moments later, starting point. we have, from the moment I first saw that wench, I knew she was trouble. And then... There's a situation that Ren and Ayaz get into that only Tula can solve because we're in that classic Amazonian woman society episode that a lot of cartoons did. 
Um, yeah, it's 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 Fry and Leela and Zap yep. Brannigan on the on the Amazon planet. Yeah, oh, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know this for a fact, but I actually think that the Queen in that Futurama episode and the Queen in this Pirates of Darkwater episode are voiced by the same lady. I no, I, I bet you that it is the case. Um, uh, she's, uh, type, she's typecast. I'm looking it up. <laughs> um, but. So Tula saves them, and he he has a moment where he says, let the woman steer, and he says something else about her, and she literally says, is that a compliment? And he's like, it must have been the wind. And it's I think that, for me, that was very brief and shoehorned into the episode, but it does make me feel like the writers had a bigger plan for him, which makes me feel better about the show in general. So, you know, at least, at least I know that, or I feel that if the show had gone on for its duration, that he would have come full circle on that. Yeah, it's good to show growth, but if it takes two seasons and you know you you're worried you're going to get canceled, it's <laughs> yeah, it's too late. <laughs> you you might want to to have set that up a little earlier. I have confirmed that it isn't the fembot. It's not the fem. It's not the femputer. <laughs> it's not the femputer. <laughs> oh, it's not. Oh, I was I was actually going to bet some dollars that it was the same lady. Okay. No, that's B. Arthur is the femputer. Okay. Oh, wow. Well, Do you yeah. understand how hard it is to be a fembot in a pretending to be a femme pewter in a man bot man pewter's world <laughs> i think i botched that what? line a little that's okay mm-hmm. uh yeah so um this show exists i'm tired <laughs> yeah. i just dissociated for like 10 seconds <laughs> we're gonna cut that bit do you, do you want me to do you want me to uh, yeah can you deal us back in i'm kind of yeah <laughs> sure so uh you know, we, we've kind of done a, a few different generalities. We've touched on a few points. Let's try to get back into a bit of the structure. I mm. want to break down uh, what is the plot on an episode basis. Right. So the way it articulates, like I, I, I had called it out as this is a really good plot structure because it has that macro plot of there's an environmental catastrophe that may or may not be man-made. The science is out. Uh, on, you know, this dark water, which is like this sentient beast water that just sinks every ship and kills everything that it comes near, which is kind of cool. I love the treatment of dark water because it's like, it's a constant presence, but it's rarely like the main thing they're dealing with. It's just a fact of their life. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But so that's the overarching plot is we got to find these 13 treasures of rule. Uh, in order to become a great ruler, apparently, and resurrect the city of Octopon because they can stop the dark water. That might not all be causally related, but, you know, that's that's the basic overarching plot. Each episode, with a couple of exceptions, uh, Ren says, let's head to the next treasure. This is the way my compass is pointing. They encounter a new society. They talk to the locals. They have a standard fantasy adventure in said locale. They rescue inhabitants or protect the innocents or are generally just good dudes. Mm-hmm. And ta-da, the treasure is there somehow. That's, that's generally how it shakes out. Yep. Some Sometimes it's a little different. You know, if at the la- end of the last episode they didn't quite square up everything, like, there's a continuity of where they are. So if they just rescued somebody at the end of the last episode and, they're, and they, like, tried to start escaping the maelstrom, the start of the next episode is the direct continuation where they're, like, trying to dodge the guy. And it might be five minutes before they get to the part that you're describing. Yeah, I mean, like, there there are episodes where they just are being hounded by Bloth or whatever. Like, that, there is there's wiggle room inside of that plot arc. But generally, it's, there's a treasure over there, encounter the locals, solve their problem instead of moving on. And they have, the locals had the treasure the whole time. 
Oh, what a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's mostly how it goes. Which, you know, it rankled me a little bit in terms of coincidence until you realize that everywhere they go to look for a treasure, it has to be populated. And because this is a dystopian nightmare society, they're all going to be in the middle of a crisis. So, like, it actually makes perfect sense if you, well, you it, think about it, it that makes, way. It makes sense even further because the treasure treasures of rule, like have this property where they can fend off and rest- they can fend off the dark water and restore life to the land so the only societies you're going to interact with are ones that have it and the people who have them have been entrusted them by Ren's father so of course they're going to like it it fits and it makes sense it's just not the most elegant construction no it it is a little bit like you have to reach for those coincidences to make it all square up but i did cuz i like I don't the mind show. It. yeah no, I liked it in all but the in all but the monkey bird slavery episode. I felt that there was a there was a cooler message to be shared from that one instead of oh you also get a treasure at the end. But yeah, uh, that one was cool on its own. Yeah. yeah, that one was like a Zelda opening a treasure chest kind of moment. Like also a treasure. Yeah, it felt like, oh, okay. That's yeah. Kind of the problem with this plot construction is because you have to fit all that in, it moves pretty fast, and so I was often confused about like why are they there? Who is this person they just met? Like. It felt very under-motivated for most the pace of it. Is and so, blistering. And so any episode felt very much like any other episode to me. Mm. Just because I didn't have that context I needed. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I, I sort of see what you're saying. I feel like I got a better feel for their individual personalities and motivations over time. Uh, with the exception of Tula, who is pretty under-motivated, in my opinion. Uh, and also Bloth, who is pretty under-motivated. But well, he's evil, Ben. Mm-hmm. That's not really good enough. <laughs> That's like even more <laughs> of an issue for with the villain. The, the motivations were not something that I I really enjoyed, but I I did I thought that their personalities and characters and kind of their interactions became more believable as they sort of developed as a group. You know that implicit trust gets a bit stronger over time. So you know maybe they're not well motivated, but I I did feel like I was getting a better more context as the show went on. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. How many episodes did you end up watching? Uh, I caught about I caught about six, and then I tried to jump into the second season, and I was just like, well, why is this happening now? They they ran into some game masters who have tied Ren and Bloth together, yep. like, by a chain to, like, test their worth or something. Like, how did we get there? Because they and have to the evade same... bounty hunters at the same time. It's clearly the same plot construction. They're clearly still on this quest. Bloth is still pursuing them, but it's just, like... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, there, it's 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 a complex show. There's there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. I feel I feel like the people who watched Firefly originally must have felt when they aired the episodes out of order. Oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe so. Mm-hmm. That's one you got to sit down and watch. I can't imagine as a kid like missing a few episodes of this. Well, they only aired five for the most part. The, oh, when yeah. it, when it was airing, they really only aired the first five, and then some networks aired like ten. But it was it wasn't the complete show. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how many uh, episodes. I'm not sure at that age how much the continuity would have been important to me. You know, I, I think that mm. there is a measure of this that is marketed to young to young boys who enjoy pirates and adventure, and that's like probably enough for a lot of markets. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I, I'm mostly appreciating this, not, you know, obviously, I can't appreciate it as a young boy. I can only appreciate yeah. it as a 30-year-old man. But, like, <laughs> within that framework, I can appreciate the 
the continuity of it all. I, I don't know how important that was to the actual demographic it was it was geared toward. To the extent that this is a show about pirates doing cool pirate shit in space, full marks. <laughs> why do you say space? This is just like a different planet. This is absolutely space. This is, why, a, this why is an alien it's planet. Space. It's not we anything in, like Earth. <laughs> we are in Star Wars territory. <laughs> you nerf herder. <laughs> it's like a it's like a like an island based planet. Like why would I, first of all why would anyone leave land in this world? But but beside that question, it's it doesn't seem like there are any continents, right? I didn't I didn't catch all the episodes, but they seem like all island based adventures. Mm-hmm. So it's a nautical society. It's a lot like a flapjack or wind waker in that way. The, the dark water kept growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pr- presumably, you know, maybe, maybe there was a huge landmass that like was Octopon huge. Was like when dark water wasn't there and Octopon was just chilling as a super, you know, Wakanda esque like uh, city of the future. You know, was was that like a continental mass or was that just a, dif- a more different island? Was this still a water planet before dark water happened? See, I thought Octopon was a conglomeration, like a like a confederacy <laughs> of the island nations that did exist. Like Oscorp? <laughs> yeah. Could be. He's, he's searching his notes. If we've stumped him, then this is... Like, well, <laughs> yeah, the answer's yes. got to be in here somewhere. <laughs> no, I, uh, I did get lost for a second, sorry. Um... <laughs> that... that... You're, these are familiar struggles. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. Mm-hmm. We keep we keep hitting on thoughts and questions that I have, so I have to scratch them off so I don't end up doubling back on them. Um, oh, we do that anyway. Okay. All right. I have. Did, some... did you have another thing that you wanted to jump though? Yeah, Just please. to kind of. Sure. I have. Um, I have some silly short questions that we could throw one in now. Um, yeah, that'll be a nice palate cleanser. Sure. Yes. If you had to cast this show with live actors right now. Um, who would you and just do just do the four of the crew? Do Ren, Ayaz, Tula, and Nidler. Who who are those four people to you? Ayaz that's, is Ayaz is Steve Buscemi. Okay. No, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Conk. That's clearly um, I think that Ren has that like beautiful nobility, but also the naivete. Like, I don't want Tom Holland, but I want a Tom Holland type. Okay. I think Tom Holland would actually be pretty good. <laughs> I don't think it's as he's too wacky. Ren is not as naive as I think that you are that that you are asserting that he is. That's I, part I of his growth was... arc. Like he makes deals with pirates and expects to get their honest word out of it. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like he I've spent seen his him... life in a lighthouse. <laughs> I saw him. I saw him turn quick wit in a tight spot kind of stuff. Like it doesn't make sense with his with he's his upbringing. Clever. Like he shouldn't be as savvy as he turns out to be in some situations. But you yeah. know, yeah. I would like, yeah, so like a Tom Holland or like if it was a bit older casting, maybe like a, a Remy Malik. Oh, yeah, Remy Malik would be would be pretty good there. Because he's got, he's got sort of that cunning aspect to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. How would uh, we do a live action uh, Niddler? Well, I, so I cheated. Like, when, like, a, like a CGI? <laughs> yeah, it would have to be. I kind of, I kind of <laughs> cheated when I thought of this question anyway, because the question comes from. The question comes from my relation to the Guardians of the Galaxy for this crew. Mm. So, like, uh, literal yeah. apply, literally applying, like, I thought Zoe Zeldana could be Tula. I thought Chris Pratt could probably oh, yeah. be Ren. Oh, I thought, definitely. Yeah. I, you know, like, I, I thought this crew reminded me a lot in a lot of ways of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Kind of like I'd agree. these guys are all have their own motivations that don't make sense together. But for some reason, they all love the captain, even though he's completely not qualified. And mm-hmm. they're going to go with him throughout his adventures. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah I, I, Guardians of the Galaxy is a good parallel to this, actually. <laughs> like, surprisingly tight. Yeah. 
Yeah, we just need Groot. Then we're then we're in there. That's uh, we that's Kong. Groot. It's the yeah, third Kong. person okay. kind of character. Uh, uh, we since since we are kind of talking about the characters in depth, that's a really good segue to talk about the individual characters <laughs> at length. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Ren. Oh, let's talk about Ren. Um, we, <laughs> the three of us have all made uh, separate comments about um, his life before this show, and one of my questions for you is, other than clearly CrossFit, what was Ren doing for 17 years in this lighthouse? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just had to be squats, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the line, once he like gets tasked with his noble quest by a vision of his dead dad to like save the world, and he like... He has a bit of a hard time the first episode, and Nidler's like, you're being too hard on yourself. Two days ago, you worked in a lighthouse. Yep. <laughs> I, I honestly would rather I never saw the first episode. Like, I think the <laughs> intro arc is really unnecessary of, like, motivating the plot and giving us the backstory. Is I just had whiplash, that's all. I, I, I honestly would have, like, preferred in media res. Like, I wanted to never see... I wanted Ren never to meet his father. I don't think that matters at all. I, I want to say... That. And it would motivate his character better because he would not, you know, he would be constantly searching out these connections to his homeland and his father. Like, I, th- I think that could have been a lot stronger if yeah. we only obtained the barest of whispers into, you know, how he got to be the person that he is. Or if his dad, when he was a younger kid, told him, hey, we're going to need you to do this. And then he does this, like, training regimen, both in terms of working out, but also learning, like, statesmanship and, like, diplomacy and also sailing and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But it got cut short because the timeline moved up. And so that's why he's sort of a little unprepared and, and winging it. Like, that would have that would have made sense to me. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that what he had been doing in that lighthouse, aside from CrossFit... Is like I think that he probably, you know, it's a similar thing in Treasure Planet, uh, or or Treasure Island for that matter, where the main character, uh, uh, Jim Hawkins, I think. Yep. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, it's been a long time. It's been a long time, man. Uh, <laughs> Jim Hawkins, you know, he works at the inn and he constantly interacts with these rough and tumble pirate characters, but never, but you know, his mom is always has a watchful eye, so. I think it makes sense for him to be adjacent mm. to some of the more adventure stuff so that he gets kind of a fascination with doing adventure stuff while at yeah, the he... same time being indoctrinated into all these noble ideals by a well-meaning, you know, lighthouse keeper. Yeah, he grew up on stories of his dad and then like stole his diary and like that's learned ex- I think that's I think that makes a lot from of that. sense. The, yeah. the two of you, I'll, I'll bring you both in when I win the lottery and we do the reboot. It sounds like we've got something <laughs> cooking here. This is, this, is, this is way better than dad shows up on the lighthouse beach for 10 seconds and now I'm a superhero that's going to go. It's so bad. Like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe, like, it's like one of the weakest beginnings to any, any story that I've ever seen. in the sixth episode when Tula becomes an ecomancer. Oh, where, that's like, yeah. this also old guy terrible. Is like, like, hey, they do don't know how to powers. do, like, they know how to do the journey, but, like, climaxes within these characters lives are just like i'm so glad i never saw any character development for ios it's 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 the way it was with avatar you built this beautiful world and at least james cameron had like okay dances with wolves i can do this plot here they were just sort of like hobbling tripping over tropes together (laughs) in like these peaks and troughs like it's it's so unnatural for their character to be completely defined in a single moment yeah yeah, I yeah, think that's it, what's missing. Yeah, I, I didn't like the I didn't like the intro at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
while we're while we're talking about Ren, um, yes, in in regards to his character, I actually found myself. Um, I was I laughed about this like audibly, which made me sound like a lunatic to my son. But um, <clears throat> I I typically get annoyed in stories when a crew or a group come together and kind of immediately, not immediately, but very quickly become like loyal family to each other. Yeah, um, yeah. That drives me nuts in TV shows and movies, except in this one, because Ren is actually a here. really cool motherfucker, and I would I would fight <laughs> for that guy. We're like three episodes in, and I'm like, sign me up. I don't care if you only want three people manning your boat. I'm in. Count me in, dude. Like, he's, we've gone he, with you all the way, my brother, my yeah. captain, my king. It did feel like that D and D thing where it's just like, okay, guys, you know, we we've. We have a weekend to do this one-shot campaign. Can you just explain why you would already know each other? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, everyone still has their own things, and you get the sense early on, like, I, Oz, and Tula, like, you know, they're just waiting for a first chance to jump away from this. Yeah. And they, they build that family There isn't that, that implicit trust and time. loyalty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, you, you say that there is that kind of, like, uh, generally they just believe in their captain wholeheartedly regardless. And, like, I think that both Ayaz and Tula, to a greater degree, recognize that what he's doing is probably pretty important. And it's not really mm-hmm. my struggle, but, like, it it seems like a good idea. So, like, I, also, I can respect <laughs> his struggles. But I don't think that... I think they do a lot of work trying to characterize both Aya and uh, Ayaz and Tula as, like, not really on his side so much as, like, have conveniently aligned interests well they're very yeah and they're very pragmatic as well they know they're going to run up against bluff at bluff at some point and it's like well if this kid's right i can save the world and that makes me you know that improves my prospects generally and if he's wrong and we get captured i can just turn him over sell him out yeah bluff wants yeah i can sell him out which they do is, constantly. is, is <laughs> waiting to Every is waiting to jump out of that boat with a book deal and like a bunch of talk show appearances <laughs> after after bluff it, takes him down and it works because like okay their motivations weren't that bad and he's he can fix himself out of a bind and he trusts them and will take them back and it's just sort of this nice like did you plan this, Ren? <laughs> like, did you plan to get sabotaged? Well, here's the here's the thing that I love about Ren is that he isn't as naive as you first assume he's going to be. Or, like, maybe naive, but, like, he's not, like, you know, a six-year-old in a sailor suit sucking on a lolly. Like, he, he has some deviousness no, to he's, him. No, he's, he's more, like, honor blind. Maybe, maybe a little more yeah. honor blind, but I really like... Where when he can be kind of crafty because that's mm-hmm. not something you generally see in the noble hero with a dynasty behind him searching for lost treasures. You know, you never, you don't generally see the main hero in that setting being crafty. But I, you know, there's a couple of moments where it kind of comes through, like when he's captured by Bloth, and Bloth doesn't know whom he captured. He just knows, oh, we found some, you know, vagrants in the water, <laughs> and he covers himself in mud to like obscure his features so that uh bloth doesn't know that doesn't know what he captured yeah you know yeah he's very intelligent there's an awesome moment in the second to last episode where some bullshit magic makes uh bloth and ren switch bodies Mm, parent trap they're not parent trap yeah it's so good that second season gets real cliche. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it's one of my favorite articulations of it because they do a lot of uh, they do a lot of kind of recognition of like, well, what would you actually do in this circumstance? You wouldn't be constantly screaming like, no, I'm actually the real one. Like you'd have to think about it ahead of time. It's like, okay, how do I convince them? And 
at some point, Ren as Bloth uh, saves Tula, and Tula's like, oh, you are you are really Ren. And they get switched back, and the way he, um, he convinces Bloth's minions to take him back is he shouts in, like, he pretends to be Bloth for a second, and is like, take him back to my quarters where I'll deal with him later. And little do the minions know, they're actually taking the real Bloth away from the scene oh, of battle. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. I might have gotten the details wrong. No, no, no that's, I, like, I like that a that's lot. That's the last episode the I just watched. It are there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's exactly it, yeah. Yeah, like, they, they, you know, it's not the most creative in terms of the plots they're doing, but the execution is genuinely really, uh, it, it, it's really well executed, I think. They've got so many tools to work with. They've got an awesome setting and great characters. And literally no fantastical idea would seem out of place here. No, we already have crossbow lizard. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, the other characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tula, I suppose, is probably the the next in the order of succession on the boat, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of right hand man sort of situation. Um, didn't He Man also have a Tula? Oh God, what was her name? Actually. I'm pretty sure it was Tula. <laughs> Well, this one's more active. What I do like is like, so we've seen shows like this before where it's like the captain and his ragtag crew of single characteristic, you know, second fiddles. Like uh, uh, Captain Simeon did this. It's like everybody's got yes. their own little thing. Here, they're all better than the standard. They have so much depth. Yeah, they're they're like way better and like way, uh, they're, they're more fleshed out and it's more like, well, I don't know what they would do in this situation, but then they do it and I'm like, yeah, that... That's believable. Mm-hmm. Uh, that fit. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you mentioned that their you know their motivations are not good. I don't think that hers are great, but part of it is just that they're obscured, right? For a long time, you don't know why she's doing it. Like it seems like she just wanted adventure. That doesn't seem all that satisfying. And it's because she's got another motive underneath it, mm-hmm. and it's to you know rescue this ecomancer so that it that so that the ecomancer can heal her hometown. Mm-hmm. So like you have a nice mix too of that whole. Um, Yes, I'm also a good person, but my interests don't align with yours, and that is going to cause us to butt heads, even though we're both good guys. Yeah, which is a, it's a fun dynamic. That you're you're hitting on the motivations. That's actually the only thing I don't like about the character of Tula, and that's that I, you know, I I liked Tula from in in almost every moment she has, except wasn't she like tending bar? before this show started yeah, like yes. i don't understand how that First was furthering her not yeah. exist <laughs> yeah that's why she's not furthering her quest to save this egomancer working at that bar you know like i don't know <laughs> well, she had to charter a ship and they were real expensive that time of year because the dark water trade routes were out of whack i don't know i she's no. she's so much better than that than that episode like if you only watched the first three episodes, shame. yeah it's like it's a it's a it's a travesty for those characters that that one exists so like honestly it just should have started with episode two yeah uh, there's there's something that I really like about um, what I really like about Tula is something that they abandon, which is, you know, being the person in the group who is the most action oriented. Yeah, the muscle. The muscle, and then she gets ecomancy powers. Mm-hmm. And how, that, do, how do we feel about that? I only saw the barest amount of it. Um, I get excited. Um in any sort of like D sort of 
stuff. So like I was all about it every second it happened. Spell level. Yeah. I mean, I was just imagining how I would apply this to a world to be a DM for a campaign in this world. And she was one of my case studies on, on how a player would, would play it. But, uh, no, I, I didn't, it didn't bother me, but it didn't do anything extra for me. It definitely bothered me. Like I like Ecomancers as a general thing, but the way that she attained Ecomancy was just like, you have the bloodline powers and now you can do this shit. And I don't think it actually furthered her character in any noticeable way. Yeah, it didn't work for her. Ecomancy in general worked so hard for me when I saw it. Because, like, we see this old, shriveled-up man that's captured on Bloth's boat, and he sleeps on, like, a bed of... A pile of, of soil. It, a pile of <laughs> yeah. soil that's, like, not corrupted, and he gains power from it. That's and they so do, like, cool! He's got a phylactery! You do plant and nature magic, and then, like, that fits in so well with the themes of this show, where, like, there's this corruption water that's destroying the, the, the world. Like, it fits really nicely, and it's so believable. And then Tula comes in and becomes, like, a super prodigy, and it's not right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like that. It's 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 sudden. She so, should like, have had I to work like for it's it, sudden. at the very least. Yeah. Right. I don't like that it's sudden, and I don't like that Tula is the one getting it, because, like, I don't think it actually explains anything about her. Like, it doesn't really help her character at all. Mm-hmm. But I I do love that Ecomancy is, like, a force in this world. Like, where there are lost arts that people only sort of understand because most of civilization was overrun by the dark water. And yes, you can ecomancy your way away out of the dark water, but there's like a price. It's like mm-hmm. this weird ritual blood magic almost. I don't know. I'm pretty into it. I, I treated her ecomancy as another story arc that I thought would have been more fleshed out had the show continued. I, I just felt that might also that be super the incomplete case. is the grade it gets for me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That, that might also be the case. I mean, it, again, if we were doing that live-action reboot, the way to do that is, like, she's not sure about her position in the quest, and then by virtue of, like, finding one of the treasures of rule, and, like, it connects with her and gives her both this, like, sense of the urgency, and also she can get some power from it if she were You know, like, there's ways to do this really well. There are characters whom, you know, get magic powers, and that reflects on them in some way. In uh, in a newer show in Netflix, the the Dragon Prince, the main uh, one of the main characters, Callum, uh, he attains magic powers, and that does reflect on him because he finally has a way to express himself that isn't just kind of sad art shit that he likes doing. It's it's like something that can actually help him uh, form a purpose in his own life and toward this greater goal. So it you know that that sort of I'm helping myself because I always want to be good at something, but I'm also helping the quest. Like, that actually motivates it somewhat. Mm-hmm. She was already a cool action girl. Like, the first thing that we see her do, <laughs> other than bar wench, is just being better on a boat than anyone else. <laughs> like, you know, unfurling the sails, and he's just like, get out of the way, I'm kind of dealing with this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I do want to sidebar into the treasures of rule real quickly. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. Because, like, these are clearly MacGuffins, and I don't know if as the show went on they, like, distinguished between what each of them did. But I think, like, in general they just sort of were anti-corruption artifacts. Uh, am I am I correct in that? Did they That's develop That's as much those? as I got. Yeah. The, I mean, he's it, there's the iconic moment in the show where he punches the dark water and it fizzles away. But other than that, like, with with one of the treasures in his hand... Um, so it's they he he can use them to clear dark water, but other than that, there's no special thing to any of them. 
Yeah, so like this is because we, we've we've seen MacGuffins before and the way to do it right is to tell us what they are and what they do. Like Jackie Chan Adventures. Oh, you got the talismans. The you gold know what standard. they are. The order in which you get them matters. The what they are, you use them as you get them. Like it's it's a it's a missed opportunity at the very least. Mm-hmm. And not that I not that I hated it I, on this on this uh, website source book thing. It, it says that the treasures of rule, you know, are all tied to the theme of like restoration. But the really cool thing about collecting all of them is each time you get a new one, it doubles the power. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's exponential. Yeah. That's awesome, actually. That's really cool. Yeah, I I don't necessarily hate that they don't have individual functions because it uh, it it also feeds into the whole lost artifacts theme of like we don't know what these things do. <laughs> like, yeah. why would we? They're lost oh. treasures. And you run into somebody who does know what they do, and you have to get them back from him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they do different things, and everyone has different motivations for wanting them. So you know, something more than. Just collect or them. they reflect the heart of the cards, Yugi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the Triforce. Or you put them down and you summon two dragons and you can bring someone back to life. You know, you can. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> or four dragons if you have two of them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let, let's talk about Ayaz because mm-hmm. I I think he's my favorite character in this show. Uh, Interesting. He's he's not. Uh, I, I love he's his not model. a good person. No. Don't get me wrong. He's <laughs> a bad person. Yeah. But he's a good friend. He's. I really appreciated him as an as a variant of the rogue archetype. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because in a D and D game, you have your rogue, and he's like, "I'm gonna steal stuff, and I'm gonna, you know, be crafty and stuff." But he's still part of a D and D party. Yeah, he's I'm still, still heroic. Ayaz is not. <laughs> he is so shitty. He's constantly looking out for number one, and like, I don't know. Like, something I love about him is that he is. He's you know he's the rogue, right? He's the one who is ostensibly the treasure grubby, grubbing kind of kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He's not that smart. No. <laughs> He's not that clever. <laughs> no, but he makes connections. Like I kind of got the sense after a while that the reason he hangs around with Ren and them is because everywhere Ren goes, he meets important people who become indebted to him, and like uh, that's he, a good guy to know. <laughs> yeah, from what I could tell, his main skill is just like every everyone just kind of. He likes the cut of his jib. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> just like... Wait, Ayaz is Ayaz is the only actual pirate slash sailor in this crew. <laughs> yeah, that's his boat. <laughs> right? he's, he's, he's the only one bringing value on the water for these people. <laughs> uh, no, uh, 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 Tula knows how to handle a boat. She figures it out because she's awesome, but she doesn't. I didn't get the feeling that she I guess had it's done not this her a profession. lot. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. be honest. That first episode where they like brought him in and got onto the boat, it was like all of one minute explaining that. I looked away for a second. I'm like, he's here now. I don't know why. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like I, it. I couldn't believe that he was a regular of the cast until like three episodes in. I'm like, oh, I guess he's just there the whole time. <laughs> yeah, you're sticking around, huh? This is my boat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, kinda. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that um, they go back, sorry, speaking of Ayaz and, no, and stealing that boat in the first episode, they do actually meet the guy that they stole the boat from later in the show. Oh, that's um, right, they stole them the boat. for years. Yeah, I loved that, because I was like, man, I'd be pissed. That that ship that ship is awesome, and I would not, <laughs> I would I would kill. If someone stole the Wraith from me, I'd, I'd kill. I get it. So. Completely. This is, a, this is a thing that I do in uh, if I run a D&D game where, uh, you know, the party is doing 
you know, there's there's collateral damage to whatever they do. I like having somebody who was affected by some of that, like, show up several levels later and they're ready for revenge and they're like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, <laughs> yep. the nice anti-climax. <laughs> uh, so one, one of the moments that I really liked about him, which I think tells you most of what you need to know, is that uh, there's one time when he's entering a gambling hall and he's doing it underneath the floorboards so that he can, like, steal the treasures back from Bloth. Hmm. But, you know, and, and Tula is distracting Bloth at the same time by, like, challenging two of his warriors. And so, like, she's kind of, like, you know, busying everyone else so that uh, so that he can make this deal. And he can't stop monologuing to himself while underneath <laughs> the floorboards. Like, everyone could hear him. And, like, Tula even shakes her head. It's like, why? Like, why? These, these Chitatan floorboards. <laughs> yeah. And he, like, just, like, starts banging on him. He's like, oh, someone really allowed... Uh, somebody really let himself go and like you know it uh it's his friend zuli like pulls him up and it's like we boarded them up though after the last time you skipped out on your tab you son of a bitch it's <laughs> like he's just the, such a bad rogue he's so shabby at his quote-unquote profession I just, yeah jack sparrow-ish like I, but, but you have but heard jack of me sparrow, <laughs> yeah but you have heard of me but Jack Sparrow is good at running his mouth. Ayaz is not. He's just yeah. good at running away and making people not pissed at him anymore. Can't deliver. Yep. Uh, there, that scene has a great cut as well where, like, Ayaz, like, hits his head on a beam or something, like, as he's crawling around, and he's like, oh, this is this is the worst job. No one else can be possibly having as bad a time as I am. And just, like, yeah. quick cut to... Like, Ren, Ren bumping his head. And Nidler, like doing the exact same motions, doing the exact same position and everything's the same, except they're also in a sewer. Yep. It's very clever. <laughs> I don't have a ton of notes on Ayaz other than that he's not a good dude, but he is a good pirate. That's that's kind of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I ended up liking him a lot. I mean, probably a lot of it is the fact that he's so ugly. Yeah. <laughs> the character models in this show are amazing. Mm-hmm. There's Yeah, like... Ren looks so live and just, <laughs> Ren's you know, kind of impossibly beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nidler has that, like, in, like that sort of consistency of volume, but the specific shapes are a little up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a little bit. Bloth. Yeah, I, I like, always looks, like, muscly, but also shabby at the same time, and that mm-hmm. hair is just so garbagey. Yeah, like he like he works out, but not regularly, and yeah. uh, yep. and like he shaves, <laughs> he but just not this morning. Hey, I feel personally attacked by how you just described my <laughs> house right now. He's rocking the dad bod. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bloth has like the best look because like it's surprisingly unique, and like he's rocking the neon pink and green like tattered cloak. Mm-hmm. Oh, and his it, like let's talk about Bloth. Are we, I mean, are like, we moving on to Bloth yeah. if we really wanted to, but okay. like there's not that much there. Niddler's the annoying side character, less annoying than most of the time when you have one of those. He's C3PO if he squeaked more. But like uh Bloth is amazing. Uh yeah, like you said, and and he's also got the eyes that are like pointing in different directions. Like he mm-hmm. he always looks a little unhinged because of what they did with his eye, and like one of them's a lazy eye that's like glass or something. So he always looks a little bit manic and unhinged, which I think is <laughs> real good. I Bloth is the one I have the most notes on and two questions for. Um, if you sure. if you have if you would humor me, um, absolutely, I will humor any <laughs> amount of talking about a villain pirate, okay. dude. My my issue. <laughs> oh, you got him started. My issue with Bloth um, for me is that I loved Bloth. I think um, 
there's a lot of cool things about him as a character. His motivations are a little confusing, and... I have no idea what he wants. Right, we have... <laughs> no earthly conception it's very, of why he wants the treasures of rule. It's unclear as to why and how and all of those things, but the... the the problem I have with him, we actually kind of hit on a little bit already, and that's the, the way he looks. And he's, um, I think that he was designed in a way to to scare kids in the 90s. And that that is something, if you remade this show, you couldn't do it. You couldn't have blue lipstick, pink clothes, overweight, voiced by the only predominantly black guy in the cast, you know, yeah. non-gender conforming character be the bad guy on this show. Because there's just, it's you're loading up on all these things that shouldn't matter to kids anymore. That's not, that's not the image we want. So I, I actually Probably found myself not. rooting for Blah sometimes. And I was like, he, he reminds me a little bit of like Titus from the impossible Kimmy Schmidt. And he's like, I don't know. I just, I, I loved Bluff, but he, he couldn't be that if we remade this show. Um, I mean, yeah. he's, he's clearly a product of his environment. We don't know what that environment is, but it's the kind of thing where this dude rises to power. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he does, he does strike a little bit like a uncomfortable, like uh depraved genderqueer kind of uh kind of kind of thing like kind of like a jafar yeah you know, very, like where, yeah where there's like a sinister homosexuality quotient in there somewhere and him um, and Ayaz both both have the aladdin thing of like these guys are a little uncomfortably middle eastern like <laughs> yes oh my god like yeah. in their stereotypes <laughs> well. um i have but yeah he's, but he's got I all the necessary, he's a great character mm-hmm. he's got all the necessary pirate villain characteristics yeah affable vocal talent Mm-hmm. He does the casual cruelty thing, and he's got more power than Ren. Yeah, I, I look at him kind of as a combination of uh, you know Long John Silver and uh, like King K. Rule from Donkey Kong. Yes, okay. <laughs> I mean just in okay. dimensions, like that larger than dimensions life, alone, like equally at home sentencing people to their deaths and walking on the catwalk and like being bad at it but having unreal confidence. Mm-hmm. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, I, I he reminded me a tiny bit of the bad guy from like Popeye a little bit too, just in the in oh, his Pluto? Pluto? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's Pluto, <laughs> up and down. Yeah, yeah, it's he's he's Pluto once he came to terms with his burning desire for Popeye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> he lost an eye in the Great Dark Water War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that totally holds up. All right, so my big question for you about Bloth is how is Bloth so well staffed? It's insane the resources this guy has (laughs) (laughs) i think it's because he's willing to you know rape and pillage mother earth really like he's got the echomancer who is twisting dark water to his own purposes he can you know change the weather he's like i want Mm -hmm. clear skies again tomorrow and the echomancer you know he'll get he'll get bent out of shape about it but he's gonna do it you know Mm -hmm. so he, he doesn't have any problem slash and burning his fields in order to accomplish a goal and he probably is very well funded because of that kind of uh because of that lack of scruples and since he's well funded pirates come in you know i think it's as simple as that okay if we're looking at the world of myrrh as something that was once bountiful and dark water has slowly corrupted it you know bloth is somebody who got in early on the idea that like resources are going to tighten up i better be at the top of my game and so like he's the biggest like company in town you could think of it as for like new applicants and like as the market share gets smaller and smaller as these islands get eaten up and corrupted like he's kind of the only game in town at that point yeah he he bought a bunch of like he bunch he bought a bunch of inland undesirable property and it became beachfront property 
Yeah. Like he just he was ahead yeah. of the curve. Okay, yeah. I buy he's that. A, he's a drug lord. Yeah. I have a, a silly question that I think you'll find somewhat difficult to answer. And this is for both of you. <laughs> wow, uh, that was quite the lead. <laughs> the you're you're casting the live action remake of this, mm-hmm. um, and you have to cast Shia LaBeouf, but <laughs> as who? Oh, it's Nidler. <laughs> I, I, see, I thought that at first, but I'm looking back at it, and Nidler, Nidler is actually kind of more serious than we let him. Okay, like he's got this serious streak at times. I mean, if if we're if we're talking, uh, even Stephen Shia LaBeouf, then yeah. Nidler, then Nidler. If we're talking actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Ioz. <laughs> Are we? Do we? Do we feel that he's a good actor, or are we putting him in like Conk's role? I don't. I don't know where we're. I, I don't know where we're putting him. I think I th- that Conk does seem like it could work. It's it's interesting. I don't actually know if Shia LaBeouf is a good actor. Yeah. <laughs> I know that I love him, but, <laughs> but I don't know if he's a good actor. <laughs> this is a question you should ask in every podcast going forward. By the way, the Shia. You LaBeouf, know, I think. Yeah, the... <laughs> yeah <laughs> just ask every guest. Yeah. But how, how do you feel about the Shia surprise? Yeah. What... <laughs> We we would never actually complete an episode. We would. There's no way. <laughs> ben would Ben would uh, mutiny. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, speaking yeah. of, they do commit to like the pirates and like ship lingo. Like these feel like most of the plots take place on a boat. Most of the people spend most of their time on a boat. It's very. Uh, it's it feels consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should talk briefly about the two main ships that they spend their time on. Can I? <laughs> yes, we should. I want to ask. I want to interject right here. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, I have to. Um, this is one of my son's only issues with the show, and so my notes from a five-year-old consisted of three notes. Um, yes, please. One. Bring him in. This is my son Bruce, um, and he told me he's like, "Okay, this show is awesome. We should watch more of this show." It seems that I enjoy it as well, so I agree. We, we're, we're doing well so far. Um, he asked me a question about the name of the show because he was confused as to why we were watching a show about pirates because he thinks pirates are bad guys. And then that made yeah. me wonder if our group is really pirates anyway. But I don't know if we want to get down that hole. Um, well, that, that's a very well-educated kid right there. <laughs> yeah. uh, pirates you, were in fact bad guys. Do you think that guys. it refers to Bloth? Mm-hmm. The pirates of Darkwater are just the ones on the Maelstrom. Mm-hmm. I guess that makes sense. If it's the pirates of Darkwater, they are the ones who are using Darkwater. Mm-hmm. Well, you think about what Ren and his team are doing. They're going around the world on a ship, stealing things. Yeah, but for I don't know. No, they're, I did, they're they're, they're well, strong. Well, how would the locals into giving them the thing? That's then different. what other title could they have? The Seamen of Darkwater? <laughs> like you can't do it. Subscribe. <laughs> Subscribe. <laughs> That's the porn parody. Shia LaBeouf will be cast as. <laughs> what are the next two questions from Young Master Sorry, Bruce? Uh, this is just he only had Pull so the, the pirates question, and that might have been my fault for leading him in describing what the pirates were. But either way. Um, the last question is, why does Baloth's ship change size from episode to episode? He's like, that ship mm. is humongous now. And then other time he's like, that ship is really tiny in this, in what we just saw. Like, he, he, he was confused and thought Baloth could change the size of his ship. And they, I, they got a, they've got like a middle panel that you can take out uh, or put in depending on how many guests you're going to have. <laughs> it's, it's Oh, see, that's like better than my table. answer, which is just Ecomancy. Ecomancer <laughs> did yeah, it. Yeah, Ecomancer did it. <laughs> which, like, if that takes place in between the episodes where they steal the Ecomancer away from that ship, that's brilliant. Uh-huh. But I Let, absolutely listen, did not connect that. Yeah. The Maelstrom is just amazing. Like, it's such a good pirate <laughs> ship. It has its own Kraken 
in <laughs> the like the hull of the ship. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, what are yeah. you doing, Bloth? It's like the You're Death insane. Star of ships. It's humongous, though. It's so good. <laughs> and, like, the fact that you have, like, an interior moat makes you wonder how this ship works. Mm-hmm. Like, how it stays afloat. It, it moves uh. the dark water around them. Oh, yeah, like dark matter. Yeah. Mm. Sure. <laughs> So did, did we have a third question? No, those are those are my notes from a five year old, and that that brings me to the the two ships that we want to talk about. I think these are the coolest pirate ships that I have ever seen. I love these ships. <laughs> these are really good. Uh, we've got a pretty high standard for pirate ships on this show, though. Uh, we had mm. first of all the name of the pirate ship from Bucky O'Hare, the Righteous Indignation. Okay, that is that is insane. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Uh, more than that. I think that from uh, Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys, they had a pirate ship, which was not as well named, but it was amazing because it was also a Voltron that when you shot it or when it shot, it made an, the noise of an ape screeching. Yeah. Um, that's a, Which so, is a positive. And I can tell so you you're good. not sure if that's a positive because you're very pensive. No, I... But <laughs> that is something good. I haven't seen either of those ships, so I don't know. But it, from the way you're describing it, I'm not sure it beats the Maelstrom, but... The Maelstrom, <laughs> I, just no, the name. I think the Maelstrom looks, it like, more traditionally badass. Yeah. And, like, I love how it resembles a huge dinosaur carcass. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Resurrected by Ecomancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the Constrictus, like this this proprietary Tarasque that lives on on the underbelly of the ship. I love mm-hmm. the entire inventive lab- labyrinth for you know slaves or you know mutineers that they can just toss down. Uh, I actually actually I love everything about the Maelstrom. It's, it's, it's just way into it's it. brilliant. It's brilliant from that labyrinth thing that like there's one exit that leads people back onto the like surface of the boat and not only do they not like keep an eye on that just in case like ren pops up and like oh my god you're alive after all it appears they don't even know that it exists <laughs> like yeah. they don't realize that there's a way out despite having a crewman who has done it before mm-hmm. well I, if i were that crewman that escaped i wouldn't tell everybody how i did it just in case I yeah got thrown oh, back i'm down very there cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah you just you just find the express elevator you just press you know yeah. press two <laughs> Yeah, so that's all of the characters and the ships, as we said, are are amazing. Um, the Wraith, you know, it's a good ship. It's just a cool pirate ship. Yeah, I, I th- there's like some like bullshit about how it kind of has the mind of its own because it's uh, got some ecomancy trees that built it, and uh, so it sort of swerves toward where it thinks that it should go rather than like where it's actually being steered oh i didn't catch I any know. of that no i missed that too. I, I read up on it a little bit it sounded like nonsense to me <laughs> it, it can also <laughs> fly which it happens in one of the early episodes huh when what it, it what it doesn't a fly might not be the right word but it it there, there's one point where they're on this like bridge of water supported by rocks and to get away from bloth they just fl- they just pu- push it right off of uh, a waterfall and it it just glides onto the the water a mile down like what what t- clearly would yeah, have been killing them sure. you know yeah Sh- sure yeah <laughs> it's it's no maelstrom you know that's no, that's no the maelstrom main, main problem with it like i would trade any amount of flying for a constrictus and i think that that uh, anecdote tells us a little something about the way that these episodes are constructed where 
the 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 connective tissue leading from one awesome thing to the next is not always like fully thought out it's just you know we need to get here and if we need to put a sail on a boat that parachutes it down by a mile you know rather than have them like survive some other way and then make their way to town later like that's an extra minute we can't afford Mm -hmm. we're Mm -hmm. getting to the cool thing and we're doing it now yep (laughs) yeah this this show the the pace is pretty blistering like uh you know, I, I don't really know if uh, it's reminiscent of those 80 era shows where it's dialogue all the time because they didn't really, you know, it's not like a Scooby-Doo where we can kind of leisurely take our time exploring a place and have like a 15 minute like opening a door and like checking, like panning across the room kind of sequence. Uh, it doesn't have that patience. You know, it gets mm-hmm. it gets right into what is the plot of the episode? What furthers the plot of the episode? And so it, it feels feels like a stereotypical 80s show in that way. So, like, uh, for an example of this, in a single minute, there's an alchemist who has captured Ren and wants to parlay with Bloth and strikes a deal with Bloth to marry her and Ren, and the ceremony starts. And, like, it goes from her meeting Bloth's henchmen to the start of a wedding in the side of a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it just wastes no time. It's like, we've got plot points to hit. Don't worry about how all the motivations shake out. Like, again, with one of the bigger weaknesses of the show, I guess, is, like, I'm not sure what motivates a few of the characters. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it it seems like a lot of their motivations are to move the plot. You know, to to move the plot forward. So. Yeah, they just just don't, they just don't put in a lot of extra bits. That's more of what it is, is that, like, well, we know we have to get there. So why wait? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Let's just be there. I honestly think that's a, a pretty eighties uh, style of uh, animation storytelling. Is what mm-hmm. it feels like to me. Yeah, we'll fix it in the remake. I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, the remake every ten minutes or so will zoom out to people playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Like that's what's gonna happen. <laughs> some other thing that we should include in the remake, I think, is the fact that a lot of the plots involve some touchy subjects and are surprisingly well handled handled for the most part. Okay. I'm thinking of slavery, but do you have other examples? Slavery is one of them. Like monkey bird slavery, it's yeah, like I mean, a good I, expression. For, if you're asking me, I think the way Ren handles Ayaz and Tula throughout several episodes is really great. Um, he never he never suspects her of any of the things that Ayaz does. But like in general, it's always Ren is the the vehicle that drives us forward handling these topics. He's always like the I'm struggling for a word here, but kind of like moral compass, yeah, the moral compass barometer, any, any of those words, he's, leader, arbiter. he's that guy who's kind of like, sometimes we're presented with this situation where we could have complicated feelings about it. And Ren's like, no, this is pretty straightforward. This is it. You know, we, this is how we handle it. Yeah. There was a, a moment when Ayaz like behind and, and Tula behind Ren's back, like when he was parlaying with the society, they, they stole some things and that was just selfish stuff. And, when they when the Sai finds out and goes after them, Ren says, "Okay, we're surrendering. We're not going to fight back. We're going to hand stuff back, and we're going to beg forgiveness." Yeah, and it's like, oh wow, yeah, that could have been a very big moral decision. A lot of shows would have drawn that out and had that been like, well, I guess I should have just done the right thing from the start, but it really didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he yeah. knows the right thing and he's willing to go for it. Yeah, that 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 was really good. I don't. I didn't hear what you said about the slavery one. Should we just gloss over it and assume that it's? We great? didn't say anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I I wanted to point out one thing in there, which is that 
there's this kind of uh, in, in the slavery episode, there is one of the monkey birds who pretends to be on the monkey bird side of like the rebellion is actually a confidant of the guys who are enslaving them. And that is sort of like I, th- I thought it was sort of a parallel to an uncomfortable real world sort of somebody who's being exploited systematically mm. kind of takes part in their own exploitation like to 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 kind of get out of it on an individual level you know sort of sort of minstrel showy like which which sucks but like yeah it sort yeah, of touches on that, that general area of stuff there there were overtones of that and it was a it was a very clear thing that like it it wasn't saying well you know in these sort of situations where you don't feel comfortable either what's what's really the right thing to do and the show no, like, well the right thing it. to do is to overthrow this society <laughs> yeah because it's, it's intrinsically unjust <laughs> so i'm gonna be nice until i can get away but then immediately we're having a revolution <laughs> uh, there's even there's like some small points in that episode too where ren is the one that kind of i mean ren is just kind of the the lead by example guy throughout the whole show but there, there was a really big moment for for me in the in the slavery episode where um just ren is protecting nidler in two different ways you know one nidler doesn't want to be there and because he's going to be he's afraid of getting enslaved so he's like well just we're going to pretend that you're mine you're you're safe with me don't don't worry about it i'll 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 protect Mm -hmm. you and then you know 10 minutes more into the episode or maybe even less um it's two it's two (laughs) i guarantee it's two it cannot be more so so 14 seconds later in the episode um we're shown that there's this queen of the monkey birds that's being you know held in a cage and you know nidler is just tearing himself apart because he can't act he's petrified of the situation Mm -hmm. and there's nothing he can do and ren actually goes to give her water and see what he can do and later on you know, Nidler is beating himself up over this, and Ren was like, "It, you couldn't do anything. That, that was my turn to act." You know, that was him. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that's that's huge. You know, being being having the wherewithal to know that he could get away with doing that, and that Nidler couldn't. You know, that's that's right. a, that's a Ren thing. Ren is the man. You know. <laughs> yeah, that that's a really. I had not even considered that in that moment, but like it is like very. It it shows that Ren, both Ren and also the story writers had like a conception of like different rules applying to different classes of people mm-hmm. and unfair as that may be that is the reality that we have to contend with mm-hmm. so like that's I, I i didn't consider that that that's really neat yeah it was a really cool moment yeah and that's that's again this is one of the isn't that the second episode or something like that i mean it's, it's, yeah I and, think it, it's the and that really that really showed that ren it's not necessarily a naivete he understands the role of society he's just very willing to do what he can when he can mm-hmm. and you know you could you could almost tie that back to his cloistering in his early years and his character is like maybe he hasn't sufficiently been entangled with the you know uh the the general shittiness of this society where like that would be normalized enough that he would just accept it um maybe you know, if he was cloistered a lot early on and sees it for the first time, like his first conception of what slavery is, he's just like, that's just straight up wrong. And no one should have <laughs> known it. And like, why is not everybody talking about this? Uh-huh. You know, like you could almost see that feeding back into his, his, his backstory. Yeah. Yeah. Which would have been better than talking to an old man dying on the rocks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you mean... <laughs> Um, uh, some other some other un- uncomfortable subjects that I that I saw uh, in the episode with the there's an alchemist uh, 
Cray, who yep. knew Primus and was a romantic rival to uh, Primus's wife, um, you know, Ren's mother, and uses dark water to regain her youth so that she can try to marry Ren instead. And, you know, starts kind of talking about, like, oh, the dreams that I had to marry Primus, now they're real again, so, like, I can have these dreams with you. And Ren responds, and i quoting here, because Ren's such a badass that I wanted to get it, <laughs> get it totally right. You're not seeing things clearly. This love between us doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. We're strangers. <laughs> yeah. You can't bring back the past. Mm-hmm. And that, that whole thing, in addition to just being, like, way to have your head on your shoulders there, dude... It like it very strongly felt like an expression of like a stalker with a crush. Like, l- listen, you're you're seeing things that are not actually there. <laughs> you need to back off. And just you know, maybe that wasn't the intent, but that's what I got from it. That's cool. Yeah, this is there's there's a lot of stuff like that. And it's like, like all it's over the so place. much it's so much more nuanced and interesting than GI Joe. Hey, you shouldn't throw rocks at people. Like it's just it's yeah, like yeah. just a lot don't, more don't here. Swim in a full also, an important <laughs> message, though. I just I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, one leads to the other. Yeah. <laughs> Got to protect your neck. Yeah, yeah. Super cool. Uh, there's also the you know environmental overplot, which I think is yeah. This could have been a Miyazaki clear. film, to be honest. It's pretty clear cut. It probably was. You know, like it's probably <laughs> inspired by Miyazaki to like creeping in a corner, being like, yes, yes, and the monkey birds will rise up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, I have no ulterior political messaging at all. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all in, unintentional. Any political is, messaging that is, is, is coincidental and entirely unrelated. This is for entertainment purposes. <laughs> for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's um, most of what I had in tone, though. Mm-hmm. This is just another reason why the show never should have been canceled. This is, I mean, we we keep going. I know, I know, you may not have liked it as much as me, but I mean, this show never should have been canceled. Oh. Yeah. No, it it's excellent. Like every episode has a lot of it like not even just good animation and good character work and like a fun story, but like a, a second level underneath it of like this is actually pretty intellectually engaging if you give it the mm-hmm. chance. It it was just it was ahead of its time in the way that it was willing to trust the audience, in the way that like, you know, people hold up things like Steven Universe now where it's like, Oh, we're gonna talk about issues and have an engaging overplot and have good you know, individual episodes, like, that sort of thing is so palatable now, but early 90s just wasn't really a space for it. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about some of the other things in this show that um, make it stand out and really add to this sense of, like, high adventure, which is... Bring it. Um, like we said, the look of things, the bright colors. Um, in terms of just the animation style, like... There's a fluidity of motion to the fighting. Um, it's not just simple, you know, oh, He-Man's arm is lifting up and then his fist comes down. It is much more of a, uh, like, like a full choreographed fight scene, like you would see in a Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the fluid animation really helps lend that uh, a realism mm-hmm. that is not present in the 80s era of, like, limited animation. Um, it as I said, it does slow down the action, which is a strange juxtaposition with the pace of the show, which is very fast. But mm-hmm. within that, if you're just looking at a person's animation, it looks very clean. Like it looks, I mean, comparatively very clean. There's a lot going on. There's, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna expose some of my nerdiness here, but I, it's, um, 
one of my one of my footnotes here is that the secondary animations are really great, which is like um, the to describe this, I'll be like, say someone's riding one of the Dagrons, which are just dragons called Dagrons. So good. Um, <laughs> so when they when they <laughs> the thing they tried the least on. <laughs> yeah. So when they're riding one of those and it bucks, it you see their the the person riding it, their whole body reacts to the bucking. It's not just like the thing bucks and they don't move as much. Like a lot mm-hmm. of the secondary stuff, like getting hit and having your head fly back and you know stuff like that. There's there's a lot of care taken in some of the smaller movements, and that's what I would credit with the smoothness of the animations to give it. Yeah, realism, it, it did. Yeah. It, it felt as though they blocked it out ahead of time before they set about a scene, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they, they had maybe not people acting it out, but definitely did the work in like kind of thinking about how would a human body realistically react to this kind of impact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the realism, the, there's a ton of dynamic shading, um, they're very aware of the light sources, whether it comes from the sun or from candles or lanterns or stuff like and the shadows are very, uh, you know, very realistic feeling. I didn't I didn't notice any of that, actually. When they're when they're in a cave, the colors will be very muted. Everyone will, everything will look kind of like a like a duller brown. And then they go out into the sunlight and you, everything really pops. Um, the lighting and shading is just very, uh, very intentional. Mm-hmm. The the coloring in general, like, it does feel intentional, but it, it does feel like too much. Like, I, I think that the backgrounds are pretty beautiful. I think the waterscapes look look really solid. It, it just occasionally oversaturated to me. It gave me a headache. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I need earplugs to look at it. It's too beautiful. It's too... They should have sent a poet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I, I, I appreciated particularly that they do a lot of background animation that is not in the actual shot. You know, like I mean, like it's in the shot, but like it's not the focus of the shot. So Ren and Nidler will be talking about something, and in the background we just see Ayaz steering, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not just him moving his arms and the steering wheel also turning. He's like kind of got his body in it. He's like... He's on the water, like he's yeah. you know rocking with the boat a little bit, and so like you, you see him kind of like rest and like uh, like tense up and relax, and there's just like a lot of little uh, little points of articulation in his in his features as he's doing this very simple motion, and it's not even the thing that we're really looking at. Um, did you have thoughts on the animation that you wanted to say? Oh sure, yeah, no, I mean for for me, I, that we've wrapped up most of it. I think that. Um, it translated well, and it didn't bother my son at all, which was big. I was wondering. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have him watch with me to see because he's got he's watched some Steven Universe as an example and some other more modern yeah. shows, um, and this didn't seem to bother him at all, which he normally communicates. And that's a, that's a worry. That's a worry in terms of the way that it ages because this does this is clearly of its time. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can just tell looking at it the way that it's done. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. No, he's he wants to finish it up with me. I'm uh, super pumped to do that. Nice. Yeah, yeah I had it. Um, sometimes when I'm watching, my wife will uh, will walk in mm-hmm. and she'll judge me for the things that we're watching, uh, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and uh, you know, so I'll be like, "Yeah, it's moving pretty fast, but I'm you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of getting it. You know, I don't understand." who these people are really or why they're doing anything or what's going on but i like the colors mm-hmm. and it's <laughs> like oh oh are they are are they like fighting now and like oh no he's a good guy now 
just like, it's been two minutes. Yep. <laughs> it, it, it colors the perception when you watch it with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, very different experience. She, she she tapped out pretty quickly. Like if if you don't if you don't give this show attention, it's not gonna like it's a delicious fruit with a very thick rind. Mm-hmm. Like the noble watermelon. <laughs> like the noble watermelon. <laughs> the minka melon. <laughs> oh god. Uh Ben, other thoughts on animation? No, I, I was going to I was going to start uh, I was going to start talking about music and sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll say it. Great dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like su- sufficiently swarthy dialogue. Like it's especially <laughs> good is the casual dialogue for dangerous situations that a lot of the characters do. You know, like there'll be something like uh, it's like uh, it, it kind of kind of like a dread pirate Roberts is like sleep well, uh, safe, uh, sweet dreams. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. Yep. You know, like mm-hmm. that juxtaposition of dangerous stuff to very casual tone um, right so for example zuli who is like the one of ayaz's sort of uh love to hate him sort of friends uh he's the games master of this game parlor which is clearly just a bar uh but you know it's a bar in the in a 90s kids show so it's a games parlor uh, <laughs> and he says and he's gonna go after he's gonna help them kind of take down uh bloff for whatever reason and he says Keep the place civilized while I'm gone, Moe's. I might live through this one. And, and Moe's just says, have fun, Zuli. You know, yeah. like, they're about to enact, like, this sort of stronghold assault. And he's just like, okay, have fun storming the castle. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So they, they do a lot of that with, like, some regularity that I, I, I dig a lot. Mm-hmm. The, the, the swarthy, like, yeah, this is a good D&D game where everyone's talking in character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they do that. And they, they do that delightful thing where they world build by referencing proper nouns that will never come up. So they, like, you know, by the blood of the twin moons, by Goda's guts. You know, it, it, it does sound like that Star Wars nerf herder line. Like, I don't know what a nerf herder is, but I know I that it's a nerfs. Star Wars thing. So how much of this do you think is writing versus the quality of the cast they had? I mean, did you guys did you guys pick up on all the other voices that you recognize from other cartoons? There, there are two in particular that stood out to me really strongly, and I'm wondering if you guys picked up on them. I didn't. Okay. No, I, I, well, I mean, uh, I recognized that the, you know, the Superman voice mm-hmm. was, uh, was that, and I recognized Tim Curry and Frank Welker, but beyond that, no. Okay. We, we had uh, cameos of various characters by the voice actor that played Optimus Prime in Transformers. We had nice. cameo. Oh, Optimus Primus, yep. of course. Peter Peter Cullen. Um, oh, it's all coming together. I don't think there's. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't think there's a more iconic uh, voice actor character combination than Peter Cullen and Optimus Prime. But uh, if you, if you have one, we should we should explore that a little bit. Um, there's uh, Master Splinter from the Ninja Turtles is in this, uh, especially in the early episodes. He's in a bunch of characters um, and several of the. Several of the people that kind of dueled between Ninja Turtles, SWAT Cats, and some other shows from that time period are all in this show, too. I think they just had, like, more access to people that could play characters. That's kind of part of what I think is going on there. Let's keep in mind that this is, like, just a a scant few years after DuckTales kind of changed the formula for how to do animated shows. So, whereas before, you kind of had the same rotating cast of just a couple of voice actors... Once you know this, this once Ducktales opened the door for that, and we started marketing to like with the purpose of the let's show create itself. a good show, not mm-hmm. create yeah. a good franchise merchandise tie-in. 
Uh, it attracted a lot of really good vocal talent, so I'm not surprised that someone from Ninja Turtles, who was, like, well-loved there, would show up here suddenly. Yeah. Like, you know, they were looking for good voice talent. They weren't just looking for someone who was good enough to sell, you know... Wheaties or whatever. Well, this one was also a tie-in to, you know, Hasbro and those. So, you know, by by this like an point, after a decade solid of, like, merch stuff, like, they knew who to call on. <laughs> like, they, they'd built up a Rolodex. Yeah. Yeah. And just, like, you know, they probably... They were kind of... I bet they... You know how, uh, how Johnny Depp and uh, Tim Burton and uh, Helena Bonham Carter just seem to be, like, eternal friends that just do everything together in a certain sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It, yeah. it, it sort of feels like the voice actors of this era, and maybe of every past era, just they kind of had like a tight-knit association where they, everyone kind of knew everyone, almost. I'm getting kind of shades of lifestyles of the rich and famous, just everyone kind of knows each other. And so, hey, I've got a pirate I need to play. He's kind of <laughs> he's kind of dim, but you can't help but love him. Oh, Tim Curry, yep. get over here. Like, yeah. I've, oh, I've, I've played this before. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what to do. And, uh, well, I mean, what I like about a lot of the vocal performances is that I didn't recognize them as, you know, famous people. Like, No, these are new I, to me. I just, I was looking things up and I was like, that's Tim Curry? What? Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't, and that's great because, like, yes, the parts of the show are good, but they're clearly focused on making a better whole. Like, this is, and I'm going to say this of the music as well, where, like, this is good orchestra fanfare high seas adventure stuff but it doesn't overstay its welcome it doesn't impose upon itself as like hey look at me i'm the coolest part of the show it's just i'm making a good show i'm it's we're good all, it's good we're working together mm-hmm. Absolutely. yeah and that that's also how i felt about the sound effects which are they're just additive and you know pretty simple percussive sound effects of like somebody stomping across a sea uh, across a deck or like the mm-hmm. little, you know, you turn the steering wheel and you feel, you hear the nodules. Mm-hmm. The no, yeah. no, like the clunk, clunk, clunk of the nodules hitting whatever the hell the steering wheel interacts with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you th- if you like watch a video in any pirate thing where you like just uh, just yank on the steering wheel like a Price is Right, uh, <laughs> you know, bonus spin, you you hear the nodules that it like hits like on the way uh, uh, on the way to steering somewhere, and they just that has a really satisfying percussive thud that doesn't insist upon itself, but it's just like, that's a nice detail and it sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, co- cohesion was pretty strong in the show overall, honestly. I, I didn't really notice the voice acting talent from any particular place. I thought it was all generally really good. Mm-hmm. I think the writing is better. Yeah. Yeah. Like, at the right, like, one of them, I don't remember even who says this line, but the verbatim line is, I'm not the one steering like a crow cruising sea hog. Yeah, I forgot that's, their idiom. That's so yeah. good. The idioms are insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they're <laughs> all over they, the place. Because they always reference things that we, like, even if this was just a fantasy world, sometimes you can see things over time, you know, like, um, you know, you keep saying the nerf herder, like, if we see a nerf herder or, you know... They talk about blood moons a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I, I started hearing yeah. blood moons with a lot of regularity here. I'm like, oh, they, they got some. I mean, it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Moon, but it, it's uh, incredible they see the moon a lot. See... They're out, they're at sea. They know the tides. Like it makes sense mm-hmm. that they'd be focused right. a lot on the moons. But we don't necessarily see the blood moon or the you know whatever idiom thing they're invoking. Like they're just like this is a world you're watching but we're not gonna we're not gonna soften that for you yeah there's parts of this world you're not seeing yep. yeah that's that's all i wanted to mention mm-hmm. no it's really good like 
Totally agree. And like it, it, it gets back to that central thing of like there, there's a lot of care in this show. Like somebody <laughs> loved this idea and made it with all their heart. Yes. And probably just a, a few people who like really saw this. Yeah. As it was. Because this this does not seem like something that was built by committee. I uh, I will mention that maybe it was because like some of the voice acting was phoned in. Maybe it was because of substandard recording equipment. Maybe it, I just got a bad copy. I felt like the dialogue came through a little bit poor audio quality. Like it it sounded a little bit tinny, and uh, I I don't know if that was just my experience or whether that was a vintage problem. I didn't. I would have appreciated subtitles. It's <laughs> <laughs> not really what I was saying. But fair enough. I didn't. I didn't have that problem. Um, okay. But I could. I could understand that being an issue. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe I just got a bad copy. Mm-hmm. That's. Uh. That's totally possible. <laughs> so. So. Um. Usually, I try to. Uh, you know, find legitimate sources of things, but I was so like we we recorded this one very shortly after recording the last one. Um, so I didn't have a ton of time to like go like get a DVD or something from the library. So I, I went to one of those dis- disreputable cartoon sites, and um, you know that might have been part of why the quality was bad for me. It was one of those sites where you you click on the play button and you have to like exit out of like four things that pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the side banners to the to the website were like these uh, anime girls like disrobing. Oh boy. And the little sign that's flashing, it says, give it to her. And my <laughs> wife just asks, so what do you give her? Yeah. What, do you, what are you giving to her? What to who? <laughs> what does she want? <laughs> yeah, like I could provide said services. <laughs> so that was my viewing experience, which might have colored my enjoyment of the show. Yeah. I should have sent you guys the link. I found a really good spot for them that had multiple copies of each episode with minimal ads. I found, you know... Oh, okay. Yeah, I should have I sent yeah, that I to you. I just went to my old standby watch cartoon online, which just, you know, has either, you know, porno or Dragon Ball Z in the banners, mm-hmm. depending on what day it is. So. <laughs> no, I, there was some of that as well. On uh, yeah. on Dailymotion, they have all the episodes, and if you have, like, a uh, Chrome ad blocker set up, then you could just click play, and you don't have to... It's kind of hassle-free. Oh, so. that sounds nice. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Did you have anything uh, that you wanted to say about the kind of sound design of the show? Did it hit you on an audio level? Were you asking me? I was. Ben's oh, never asking me. Um, <laughs> ben assigns opinions to me. Okay. <laughs> um, I so this felt a lot. I, I don't know if either of you ever played the MMO Ultima Online. It was kind of a precursor for World of Warcraft. Um, I did not. This it felt a lot like that uh, sound wise, um, and I loved like I. I don't know if this has more to do with the quality of the opening intro song or just that I loved the show and I felt inspired every time it came on, but I really did enjoy the opening <laughs> sounds too. So I I enjoy it up to a point. There's like a, a definite point where I get sick of it. Okay. That didn't happen to me. And I <laughs> I don't I don't no well I mean like within the song. I don't mean within like X amount of viewings I start yeah. to get tired of it. I mean I always enjoy the first half and don't like the second half and I don't know Welcome what it is. Welcome to the land of myrrh. <laughs> Where young Ren is on a quest to save it from dark water. <laughs> There's just a couple real good measures. Yeah, agreed. It, it, intro goes on a little long, and it's just a clip show, really, mm-hmm. of the of the show. Yeah, yeah. That it's not the strongest <laughs> intro. Um, you know, clip shows. That's that's a that's a handicap right off the bat, really. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, I, I appreciated the sufficiently pirate music. Yep. So I I enjoyed the sound as far as as far as it went, tied in with the show. Right. Yeah. What uh, yeah. What, what you know, just because we're kind of rounding the corner towards starting to kind of trying to wrap up. Do you uh, is there anything about this show that like? Hmm. I don't know how to. I don't know like exactly where I'm going with this. I guess I. I was just wondering what you liked best. Has soured and upon worst. revisiting. Liked? Do you mean liked best and maybe liked least? Like currently? Sure. No, I mean, I mean, I guess. What made it most unique to you? Oh yeah. Oh, the world. You know, kind of. Yeah. Why did this capture you so? Maybe we already kind of asked that. I don't know. Ask, answer whatever question you want. Sure. I mean, the the thing the thing that will make the, me come back to this show, like it's if I want pirates, there's so many different pirate things. If I want sci-fi, there's so many different sci-fi things. If I want, you know, uh, a lineup show where I have to care about multiple characters with small stories, this is, you know, if I want various types of things, this hits a bunch of those features. And I think the, <laughs> the, the world of Murr specifically as kind of a D&D sci-fi enthusiast is kind of a, it hits a lot of markers for me. I think that those ships, those monsters, the colors, the outfits, you know, it's kind of, sometimes it's like the, the outfits are like Mad Max. Sometimes they're like these organic shells. Sometimes they're just these bright colored cloths. I mean, the show is very, it's, it's a world that I want to spend more time in. That's, that's what brings me back to this one. I, I, I want to touch on that. Like, I, I was trying to think of, I really like this, but I don't know one thing that I can point to that I like it. And it's because it's kind of not one thing. It's the synthesis of a lot of adjoining areas done pretty competently. I like adventures in gen- I like adventure, action adventure kind of fantasy settings in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I like pirate story in general. I like, you know, inventive world building in general. And just uh, kind of synthesizing that all into one thing that is not afraid to be daring. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's kind of what I'm taking away from this, and it really helps that it 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 benefits from that '80s mentality of make a whole world and then walk through it, mm-hmm. and that '90s mm-hmm. mentality of actually animate the damn thing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was just like I think maybe just you know would have been successful if it wasn't so expensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, it's just the world is very evocative. I love the sense that there's just a ton of societies that have each in their own way tried to adapt to this world-changing catastrophe. Yeah, I'd be interested in walking around this world in an MMORPG kind of sense. Dark water is very cool Yeah, that would be a great incarnation of it. I loosely plan on, like, I I didn't know until you guys were talking about earlier that they may have already done some development on D&D materials for this but this would be an incredible fun game to DM. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, what races would we be? I don't or what classes would we be? I don't think we ever came down on that. Let's see. There's Ecomancer, Swashbuckler, uh, Monkey Alchemist. Bird, Alchemist, um, Warlord. Yes, yeah, Slaver. Slaver, um, Slaver, I guess. Is Monkey Bird its own class? It's got to be a race. No, that's a race. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it could also be a class. Mm. <laughs> monkey bird monkey, monkey bird, bird. Um, well, are there any other questions left on your on your list um, oh yeah bring bring back your questions so actually we covered all of my points and all of my questions I'm very satisfied with with how we, we handled that I should have I should have that's, marked that's them. a carton cast promise yeah. <laughs> you might say that we've collected all of the treasures of rule yeah. <laughs> actually you know you know this is kind of a unique opportunity we don't get too often you uh you know, you came on, we warned you, like, hey, think that the podcast episode takes on a life of its own. 
<laughs> can you give us your experiences in that? Like we gave you our experiences. With a little Pirates exit Darkwater. interview. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I love I love hearing how you guys feel about these things, and I love. I mean, just in general, it's great that it sounds like one of you likes this show more than the other, and that there's 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 perspectives that I got that I wasn't that I didn't catch when I was watching it. That the whole experience has just been super fun. I don't I don't know about how I can explain taking a life of its own for the podcast but overall this experience has been really <laughs> special so so thank you for uh thank you for involving me well thank you for coming on this was a lot of fun absolutely <laughs> I, i'm just always i'm just always taken with like the fact that i you know sometimes it, it's sort of like when i do a public presentation where i just i start talking i black out i wake up in a half hour and i'm almost done with the presentation mm-hmm. <laughs> like, i don't actually tend to know exactly what transpired from point to point and like i didn't really Mm -hmm. have much control over it but one of the most common experiences for me is i'll be listening back to an episode just to like for quality assurance or after ben edited or something um and one of us will say something and i'll i'll like think oh that's kind of like this and then i will hear my own (laughs) voice say hey that's kind of like this i'm like (laughs) what's wrong with my brain that i'm just like reliving the same experience the same conversations mm-hmm. but we're, um, we're glad that you enjoyed our format we i had a feeling yeah. like we would touch all the points that you wanted to touch that that's just kind of tends to be how it goes but uh it was also fun answering your questions from a five-year-old mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah we love having guests on in general because they they over prepare and bring us things that like make it easier when they're these like uh we complicated tv shows mm-hmm. um but you went above and beyond by giving us like talking points mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wrote things down well, i hope that so. <laughs> yeah that, that, that's really over made it over cheaper. <laughs> and had a stable internet connection yeah. and you're what we call overqualified <laughs> oh I'm, I'm flattered that you say that i i felt under underqualified and underprepared <laughs> but uh no this was this was great and thank you for not at all humoring my questions and i think i do mean it when i when i say you should bring the shia labeouf segment into other shows <laughs> i i think that oh <laughs> Um, oh, we'll, we'll be in. We'll be in negotiations. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> uh, I wanted to mention one extra detail of the show that I couldn't neatly fit into an earlier part. Okay, mm. which is that uh, the show was parodied in one of the early interstitials on Cartoon Network, wherein a viewer question was to you know air the unaired episodes of Pirates of Darkwater. And Cartoon Network claimed to have the episodes on tape and promised to air them, but instead ended up showing footage of a kitten lapping milk mm-hmm. <laughs> and suggesting that someone had taped over them. Yeah. That's so weird. It's, I just <laughs> read that right funny. before we went, right before we started getting on the Skype call. I actually just read that and I was like, that can't be real. I just, I can't like, but I'm consistently blown away by the things adults do and say to explain things. So I, 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 90s Cartoon Network was a lawless wasteland. Yeah. Like it was, yeah. cro- cartoon crossovers everywhere. Like there were no rules. <laughs> it had, uh, it had Samurai Jack and Johnny Bravo doing their laundry together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a beautiful time. If they ever, if they yeah. release the DVD set, I hope that they put the episodes of the cat lapping up milk just to just to hold firmly to that joke. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> that, that would be amazing. <laughs> this <laughs> is just, part they of the never canon. Yep. James, thank you so much for having 
uh, for having the time to spend with us, for coming on the nice show, save. and for sharing with us this thing that I now love. Mm-hmm. This was really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a lot of good time as well. Mm-hmm. This was an honor. Thank you guys for having me on. I had a blast. Absolutely, and feel free to like suggest another thing that you feel strong, strong feelings about so you can come back on and uh, we can do it again, hopefully. Off the episode, I think I'll, I'll have some suggestions if you if you guys have <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. some things you need to watch. We, uh-huh. We've got bandwidth. Don't you worry about that. Uh, yeah, just, Keep, keep us in mind. Okay. Keep in, uh, Do you keep in want contact. to uh, restate your online presence for, for the listeners? Sure. I um, Other other than the basketball website that I'm starting, I don't have any internet presence, but uh, I'm very, very excited and proud to be working on that. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time. So I'll be starting kind of a basketball science website called The Hezzy that'll kind of explore the differences between advanced basketball knowledge and casual basketball knowledge and trying to connect those dots for folks um and i i couldn't be- I, I assume the hezzy is some complicated basketball maneuver that i am unaware of but for the for for you know for you know i i no i take i take it back i of course know what it is but for somebody who doesn't know what a the hezzy is would you mind spelling it sure it's uh it's two things one it is a serious move that basketball players can do which is just a, an abbreviation of the hesitation dribble and the second thing that the Hezzy is, is a meme that has been created by one of the best basketball players in the world, where um, Kevin Durant tweeted that Markel Fultz had that Hezzy pull-up Jimbo, which <laughs> it, it basically became a thing of its own, and it doesn't even mean anything basketball anymore. And so since my name is James, I wanted to have the Hezzy pull-up Jimbo as my website, but it was taken already. So... Um, yeah, that's that moves fast. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the owner of the Hezzy now. <laughs> I, I'm pretty I, sure that that was something that Bloth called Ayaz in, uh, yeah. in one of the moments. Yeah. It was the Hezzy pull up Jimbo. The Hezzy pull up Jimbo. No, that that's that's my new uh, Creole restaurant. The Hezzy pull up gumbo. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you actually would get a whole market of people to go to that <laughs> that you wouldn't understand. That are just like I am expecting lots of basketball references here. It would be big. Yeah, I wouldn't I'm be able to provide small, them. But very yeah. appreciative clientele. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'm actually looking forward to that because it, it, uh, I now trust you to like do good research and explain things well <laughs> yeah you researched the show better than we did so like <laughs> props uh and ben what about what if the internet wants to find us so uh zane we're not ready to do that because we have to say what's coming up next ben what's I- coming idiot. up next is uh, uh we yeah. are doing a movie segment a bootlegged um dan caves is coming on for our halloween feature and we decided to go uh toward religious damnation instead of our normal damnation so we're gonna watch dante's inferno an animated epic how saucy. It's going to be a nine layers sauce. It's going to be a, a nine layer dip, if you will. It's going to be a five. It's going to be a nine alarm chili. A five finger discount of that nine alarm chili. Yeah, 45 finger alarms. And because I assume it's multiplicative rather than just. I guess I can continue. The, the thing that we're doing after that, uh, <laughs> Zane, I went through and, you know, I've been I've had decades on the brain because this is so much in that awkward between era of clearly is borrowing a lot from 80s definitely moving into the 90s in terms of actual animation technology but then i realized you know you know a decade that we haven't been looked haven't really looked at a lot and haven't really taken anything from in a long time the 70s oh <laughs> uh, yeah so that what is I want, a decade <laughs> and so what i want to do and it's one that is not well known for animation and i want to find out why uh so i want i suggest that we watch Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Oh, Ben. <laughs> yeah, don't fight me on this one, Zane. 
Man, I just don't... Subscribe. Zane, if there's one thing that we're missing in this podcast, it's appreciation of manly men being manly. That's not a thing that we miss. That's yeah, no. We <laughs> well, we'll never miss it again. Tradition. <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, I guess I'll learn all about uh, monkeys, apes, the distinction thereof, and Tarzan and how he fits into it all. Is it a romantic comedy in that sort of way? Like, oh, Does no, he what's he going to do? Does he execute the Hesse pull of Jimbo? <laughs> <laughs> That All of that and more are going to be topics of discussion on the Facebook page, so what you can do is go to the Facebook page and talk about the Hezzy pull-up Jimbo, maybe, and uh, what you can do is go to our website, cartoncast.com, or our group website, fancybat at gmail.com. I know I say them as separate websites, it's really the same place, uh, but you can go to the contact page there and leave us a message if you want to tell us anything about Dante's Inferno or Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Uh so if you have any comments on either one of those or just want to say hi in general, please go ahead and use that. If you feel like giving us a rating or review, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and uh, tell us what you think about the show. We really want to hear it. And more than anything else, tell your friends about the show. More than anything else, if you find a treasure of rule, can you send that in? Because uh, we're, we're, we're starting a collection of sorts. <laughs> and uh, until next time, uh, tot and Chungalungo. <laughs> by the twin moons of Ramsey, t- etc. <laughs> Ramsey, by our powers combined, <laughs> we'll probably end it before I start talking. Mm-hmm. That's a good policy. Mm-hmm.